to the Piper Carter Podcast with Piper Carter for a conscious take on music, arts, politics, and fashion. The founder of We Found Hip Hop has a say on what you should know about culture with a balanced conscience. Subscribe on Apple iTunes or Google Play to the Piper Carter Podcast to hear the stories and thoughts of Piper Carter. Follow Piper Carter on Instagram at Piper Carter. All right, we are back in full effect for five minutes. A funk is how we started it, but you know, this is going to be way more than five minutes. Piper Carter Podcast. Piper is going off to rave reviews. People from across the world are reaching out to you saying, hey, yo, Piper. Yeah. Thank you for the information. They are. Actually, um, I got a lot of really good responses. So one of the responses I got was from um, this gentleman that was from Australia, and he sent everyone in Detroit his love. And he's like, he doesn't understand what's going on. Why we can't have water. Why we yeah. can't have clean, fresh water that we can afford. Yes. Uh, a lot of people, Monica Lewis, Patrick, been doing it. A um, lot of cool guests. A lot of good people. I'm running into these people. A lot of good things. Piper Carter Podcast. Subscribe, like, share with a friend. And the experience continues to expand and create more and more as uh we have two millennials in full effect yay as, as we always say as we always <laughs> say the millennial question is uh what's the better michael jackson album? oh yeah what is the what is, what's you guys michael jackson you have to give him the choice though the choice is off the wall or thriller thriller same oh, like we say that's the millennial question My if they, heart. <laughs> <laughs> if they oh. say thriller that's a millennial. And that's just right. could be because I didn't familiarize myself with Off the Wall, like Thriller. Really? That's all it is. Off the Wall is the funkier Michael Jackson. Way funkier. <laughs> he got the, you know, a little twang in his voice and all the runs, the soulful, funky beats. Thriller's got the cool dance, though. No, it has the cool <laughs> dance, but that's when he went more, like, technological, and he, and it went more into, like, the electronic sound of music. Yeah, yeah. And he was more like, you know... Yeah, the it, black community think he sold out with Thriller. Got you. Uh-huh. What, do y'all remember the, the time differences between the two? Oh, my bad. Was it? We have to look it up. It's real close. Like, it yeah. may be That's like two, crazy. three years. Well, what? Between Off the Wall and Thriller? Yeah. yeah. Let's see. Off the Wall. Let's look up the Off the Wall album. Michael Jackson, Off the Wall, was recorded in. God, I'm waiting on my, uh, my, my, my thing. Oh, it took me to the lyrics. Yeah. When was Off the Wall? Let's see. Now, the Off the Wall album, um, I, I think it was his most, I think that was the most funkiest, soulful mm-hmm. album that he ever made. More yeah. pa- Was it like more passionate? Well, it was just the rhythms. You know, I mm-hmm. can't take away his passion. I think all of his, he was passionate, you know, completely. But I feel like all of his 
the funkiness. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. it was, it was, it still had that funk, that funk to it. And the Jackson like, Five vibe a little. Um, it was like a part from the Jackson Five. Okay, like the Jackson Five stuff was still funky, but this one had like, it was like, oh, he's he's coming to his own. So it was mm-hmm. in '79. Right, so Off the Wall was released in '79. It was his fifth album. That's according to the wikis. And then um, Thriller, '83. Uh, it was '83, so that was a different time period. I mean, it was only a couple years, but by between '79 and '83, the world had <laughs> changed. That's a different generation because Generation X is in the '80s. Started with the '80s, right? I don't know when we it started. Ended, but yeah, that's the ex. that's generally the um, oh that's but that's the question. That's always. how huge I guess what you're saying is the 80s was when it hit, it hit. Well, it wasn't just the 80s; it was like that time period. So 1983, crack was in full effect. Mm. When 83, <laughs> yeah, was the 79 was before mm. crack. They was free basing, but it was it was pre crack. <laughs> pre crack. And eighty but eighty three crack had come full blown. Crack and AIDS were full blown, but they hadn't yet destroyed the community. Understood. We saw it and it was like, What is happening? Actually that's when we saw the commercials for crack on T V, which I'm calling the news segments when they were saying this this really strong drug that's got everyone hooked is on the streets and people are like what is that (laughs) poor poor man cocaine yeah poor Mm. man cocaine yeah so with this we can introduce the millennials in effect we got sam and Brittany in full effect um how y'all feeling i'm feeling good this is awesome already i'm over here can't stop learning i'm just learning like 10 things that's good yeah, I'm old. <laughs> no, it ain't even about that. <laughs> ain't got nothing to do with it. Say how you feeling? I'm um, feeling pretty good. I'm always enjoying being next to Piper because we're uh, always rebel rousing together <laughs> wherever we're we're at. <laughs> right, right. So we're always the ones in the room that are challenging uh, the authority and challenging yeah. the the norm and trying to think out of the box. So I'm mm. excited. It's so stressful. It really is. But it's cool because we got, like, two cool people here right now. Actually, I wanted to – um. so Sam here is super awesome. She's a community organizer. She's an activist. Um, she's a community person. She's not just, like, of the community and in the community, um, but she is about the community. Uh, she has her own organization that, um, even though she's been doing the work, is it's newly formed in its official um, form that it is right now, an actual 501c3, um, and it's called One Michigan. We're all, we also um, are a part of the um, Detroit Equity Action Lab. We have Raul on here, who was also a part of Detroit Equity Action Lab. Um, we also, um, for our, so... We, one of our Detroit Equity Action Lab um, members, um, Lacey, uh, who um, has an, another organization that is uh, does a lot of work around policy mm. and um, getting people of color to be involved in politics and policy and advocacy, um, organize these trainings and these retreats, and it's called the Urban Policy Link. And so both of us... Um, did the retreat and I guess technically are a part of the Urban Policy Link 
Um, and when I, when I let me just be clear in this conversation, and for me always, <laughs> when I say uh, the word political, because our people are turned off um, by politics, politicians, the word political. So, uh, but for me personally, what I actually mean is advocacy, mm-hmm. and what I actually mean is um, power and real power, which is people power. So not just these parties and um, politics as usual, (laughs) but us actually um, having people who intend to represent us. And so what that means is they're going into um, take over an office or a job where they actually are going to listen to people and actually going to bring people to the table to be a part of decision making. And so I wanted to preface that because I brought Sam on here who is actually running for one of the seats that's um, going to be open in November. And um, a lot of the work that um, that we're doing currently on the ground is a direct, uh, what, do you, what should I say, symptom of uh, people that have been in power that have not represented us. And so we have to have people that represent us. And what that means is they're not going to look like the people that are already in power. They're not going to sound like the people that are already in power. They're not going to have the same backgrounds, meaning like that they've worked in these jobs or they've been a part of these networks as the people that are already in power. This is grassroots power, meaning that um, these are people who are actually from our communities. And so that's why I wanted Sam to come on here because I personally know Sam from actually doing work. And so her decision to to run, I, I watched that process. Mm. And so that's why I wanted to personally bring her on here to talk about herself, what she's doing, what she's involved in. And I wanted to kind of preface that before she spoke because we're going to have a lot of uh, conversation about what she's doing. And so just so people understand that um, this is not about a political party. Um, This is not about trying to um, put forth uh, a specific agenda that's been handed down. Um, It's not about trying to get people to vote, although we want you to vote. But it's not just about go vote. You're an idiot or an asshole if you don't vote. It's about how do we um, build power? How do we harness power? How do we um, use the power that we already have? And how do we rally behind people that we want to see in these seats of power? Right? So anyway, that's why I just wanted to kind of before all that because uh, you know then we can talk about all this other stuff and then just real quick um Brittany tell folks who you are um I'm Brittany and um I had the opportunity to meet Kari and Piper um separate of each other uh, excuse me of each other and um working on a documentary it's, I call it my social responsibility it's the only way I could think of uh, giving back to the city that is evolving whether we wanted to or not um that is stagnant in some places to some people's belief, um, that is evolving in some places to some people's belief, uh, that's being gentrified to some people's belief. But I, I think it, uh, the city has an interesting story. It can also almost tell itself. So I kind of want to give it my perspective to see if I can help it tell its story. 
So um, Piper, just within the minutes of uh, looking at her in her eyes and uh, feeling her vibe, she's powerful. Just to have you on here, that's pretty cool. So again, I'm learning, and I thank Kari for the opportunity. So that's me. There you have it. We have an official millennial in the building. <laughs> 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 that's what's up no so yes. um so sam tell us um like before all the politics and before you know one michigan and where you are currently just tell us about because i want to talk about sam i want to talk about standing rock i want to talk about the feds i want to talk about a southwest detroit but before we get to, into any 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 of that who is Who's badass Sam? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, I always like to tell, like, my history. Um, I was born to two teenage parents um, from southwest Detroit. Um, Third generation from Detroit. My ancestors are from Jalisco, Mexico. And uh, they came here for a better life for that American dream. Um, My parents weren't able to raise me. Uh, my mom actually has uh, schizophrenia, so my dad got custody of me when I was four years old. He actually had to drop out of the army to come home to fight for custody for me. Uh, he gave me to my grandparents, who took me to Belleville, Michigan. That's where I went to school, but I always came back to Detroit to be with my dad on weekends. Uh, my dad was in the actually 48217 zip code. So I actually have pretty bad asthma because we were right by the marathon, um, all of that, the the buildings that are over there. The pollution. Yeah, the pollution. I remember it just smelled so horrible. Like, that's how I knew I was getting to my dad's house when I was young, when my grandparents were driving me, um, when I started to smell the bad smell. I'm like, oh, okay, I'm by my dad's. And while I was growing up, I started seeing the differences between Belleville, where I was living, you know, most of the time. And then Detroit, my cousins, what they were learning in school and what I was learning in school. And I started realizing what racism was at a very young age, even though we weren't talking about it in Detroit. I mean, in Belleville, because I seen the differences, you know, in academics. My cousins Mm -hmm. were not at the same level that I was, even though we were in the same grade. Mm -hmm. Um, So that really sparked, I guess, the activism in me to wanting to stand up and wanting to make a difference. Um, So I I would say I started really early in school. Um, I remember I had a sixth grade teacher that would um, always get mad because I would always tell her things weren't fair. Mm. Um, She would, one day she literally separated our classes by blue eyes and brown eyes. Mm. And so we literally had all the white kids on one side and then all the black kids and the one Mexican kid, me, on the other side. She was like, these are your groups. And I looked at it and I I didn't know how to name it. I didn't know mm. that it was racism, but I just said that it wasn't fair. Mm. And I would not back down to her. And I actually got the rest of the kids to stand up and say, mm. like, this is not this is not right. Um, so I started activism at a, at a very young age. I went to Texas for undergrad um, to be by more Latino culture because I grew up like mm-hmm. with more white folks. Mm. Um, and then after I graduated, uh, I started doing heavy immigration work. Uh, I got arrested at the Department of Labor for a sit-in. It was actually a federal crime. Um, but because of my arrest, there was a man named Edgar Vasquez that was on a bus going to be deported. 
And while I was sitting in the Department of Labor, they stopped his bus and they mm. literally turned it around. And he's got a visa to this day and he's got a family now and he's he's here and mm. he's he's on the pathway to citizenship. So right. that's how I knew back in 2013 that direct action, like even if it's a single person, a lot of people think that for community organizing that you need to get 50, 100 people. No, it was literally myself and one other guy. We sat in the Department of Labor we had collected about 7,000 uh, petitions. Wow. And we said, we're not leaving until you, you stop this. Mm. I ended up getting arrested, but it saved his life. So wow. that's how I started. That's how I started my activism. How work. old were you? 21, I want to say. Back wow. Then. <laughs> 2013. What, what part of Texas uh, did you stay in? Uh, I was in the Valley. So it's the Rio Grande Valley, Edinburgh, Texas. Mm -hmm. And there's actually a border around South Texas. Hmm. So a lot of people don't know this. To to get from the tip of Texas, where like South Padre is, Laredo, Texas, to get up to San Antonio or like mm -hmm. any of those other cities, you actually have to go with through a checkpoint that's always there. And you have to say that you're a citizen. And that's where they catch a lot of like people mm -hmm. that are undocumented. And that's why there's such a... A large population of undocumented people in South Texas because they have this checkpoint that they they can't get through mm. like it's it's absolutely crazy it's always there they have like um, those four-wheelers and everything going through what now when you talk about just the cultural shift that you notice from Belleville to Southwest Detroit um, what was that cultural shift between just this region of Michigan and down there I guess at a checkpoint that I didn't even know exist and then let me let me say this too for people listening always the Kari stance of this it's so weird to I don't like undocumented I don't like illegal I don't like anything just on the strength of those first words. off that land yeah. is technically the land of those people in the first place like yeah. the whole concept of the Louisiana purchase yeah. mm -hmm. was selling quote unquote land that the French never even right, explored, yep. quote unquote, which right. is really basically um, colonizing, yeah. murdering, raping. Yeah. But, um, you know, when white people do it, it's called exploration. But <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> so it's like a lot of those Discovering. The, the tribes like that's Aztec. That's yep. yeah, that that is technically the the that whole that land of what we consider, like even the break off of Native American versus uh, Mexican like. It's all in the same yep. groups. Yeah. That's why I don't like to call uh, Mexicans immigrants. I don't mm -hmm. like that label because we're not immigrants. We right. were here in America. This is all North America. And we were coexisting before the colonization happened. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, we would consider a Mexican is part of Native American. Like, I don't know, you know, if they did their 23 or what, what are these goofy uh, mm -hmm. genealogical studies that people send off? Right. Uh, background checks or whatever. Yeah, but, the DNA. Yeah, yeah. Swab your tongue. <laughs> yeah. And D put your DNA into Kari, the Kari says, government, don't do that. The federal system. Yes, so they that's can big brother. Track you. Have y'all done? I'm not trying to change this. Have y'all done that? Heck no. 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 <laughs> put my DNA no. to the federal government. <laughs> No. No. <laughs> okay. Uh uh. Not voluntarily. Yeah. <laughs> they probably collected you know you my spit. When but. you were in sixth grade, you just felt something wasn't right. 
Yeah. She, it's just the same thing. Just something just don't seem right about that. You know, giving your DNA. What do I know? I don't know. I don't know much. <laughs> but but you know what? So um, with that culture question, though. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I have a similar, you know, kind of path. But what was that for you personally? Like, what was that actual shift? Because I also want to know too. You were saying between the Texas and Michigan mm-hmm. and that border, Detroit also has our border right here. We're in yeah. t- we're an entirely constitution free zone, actually, because mm. of the Canadian border. The entire state of Michigan is a constitution constitutional free zone. So what does that mean? That means yeah, they can do whatever they what want to do to you. Yeah. yeah, that means they don't follow the constitution and no. It's Who's like maritime that? law. <laughs> they can just Who, oh, punish that? you. The federal government. Right. So, so post nine eleven, they can basically stop you, and if you're suspicious, they do whatever they want. Mm-hmm. They Indefinite the detention. Is you're a quote unquote. I get. I don't even know what. There's no. If you're a non-white person, and we think that you're what we a white person would label as an illegal immigrant, I can just stop you. Yeah. It's yep. sort of Very like kind of stop and frisk. It's yeah. like yeah. stop and give your document. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and if you're an American, so-called American citizen. Wow. It's, it's, it's indefinite, indefinite, meaning they don't have to have a reason. Mm-hmm. They don't have to read you Miranda rights. They, you like, you're owed nothing. And they can hold you for an indefinite amount of time. Mm. It's all nefarious. Yeah, they were, <laughs> they were actually doing it at the, they probably still do, at the e-course um park right by jefferson right right. yeah we got a call from uh my youth i want to say it was two years ago now um that the police border patrol would just go there and listen for families that were not speaking english and they would start interrogating them they're doing that yep and And snatching people's kids yep yep they just or snatching the parents and leaving the kid they're snatching kids that live in southwest detroit no, they're snatching parents when they go to pick their kids up. Anyway, I'm gonna let I'm gonna let Sam talk. Is go ahead, tell yeah, us about this Texas? about you, Texas. Yeah, yeah, what was yeah, that yeah. like? Um, Texas was so different. South Texas is a lot different than all of other Texas. So South Texas is predominantly all Hispanic. It's like huge Hispanic population. So you don't really see any other cultures. So, like, you might see somebody that looks white, and then they're speaking perfect Spanish. Like, they're they're from Mexico. Like, they're they're not white. Um, but it's getting gentrified now. Mm-hmm. So, it's weird. So, n- now it's one of... McAllen, Texas is one of the fastest growing cities now. And it really concerns me because, like I said, you have a huge undocumented population, and they're starting to get displaced and pushed out. But you have this checkpoint. So where are the people supposed to go? And um, they recently, the university I went to was University of Texas Pan American. And they recently merged it with another university. It was University of Brownsville. And now they put them into one and it's called University University of Texas RGV. Mm. But since they merged the schools they like fired the previous deans they hired a new white dean from alabama of that course. knows nothing about our culture nothing about undocumented population and they changed the mascot which 
when you change a mascot you have to change all the names all the signage all like people don't think about this right like some people that that were really upset over the mascot they were upset because like that was their mascot that they loved like you know Mm -hmm. culturally Mm mm-hmm but they didn't realize that their tuition was going to start going up. Wow. So now, what a uh, mascot. Yeah, because you have to change literally all the signs. Like think wow. about how many signs there are and banners and everything mm-hmm. else, school the baseball team uniforms, like all right, of that. Right, right. So they had to change all of that. So now the tuition has rise, so a lot of my friends can't um, afford to go to that university anymore. Wow. And it was all like local kids that were going to the university. So now they're pushed out. And they're forced to go to uh, South Texas College that's down there. And it, it's still college, but it's it's not the university and it's not something that they can afford. Mm. Interesting. There's so many levels to white supremacy. Oh, it really okay. is. There's so many. Yeah, that's a, that's and a these people, you can use every day. And these people are not ready for the racism that happens in the rest of the country because, mm. like, they're closed off. Right. So even if they are to come up here, like, it's going to be a huge shock for them because right now they're, like, in their bubble. It's kind of like like Southwest Detroit. Like Southwest Detroit is a lot mm-hmm. of Latinos and they, they're not really exposed to a lot of different cultures. Mm-hmm. So when you talk to some of those teens about like racism, they're like, oh, yeah, you know, they know it exists, but they haven't really experienced it because they stay in their hood. Yeah. You know how we were talking like, you know, before you said you don't yeah. leave eight mile like right, back right. in the day. Yeah. Like, you, you knew that it was out there, yeah. but you didn't experience it because you right. stayed in your right, hood. Right, so right. it's the same thing in, in South Texas. So. Mm-hmm. That's where I really started my organizing work with um, immigration because a lot of folks appreciated my outside view and me Mm -hmm. telling them what was actually happening. And I actually started organizing to take youth to like D.C. to protest. Mm -hmm. And they had never left the valley before. And, you know, I took undocumented youth past the checkpoint and that in itself was like a a complicated feat to be able to do. Were they... I mean, what's the nervousness of somebody like that? Just leaving the zone as safe just on the strength of, I guess, like the eight mile question. So mm-hmm. many people have licenses that have been suspended because of the driver responsibility fee. Right. And, you know, racist driving while black. So, like, you know, it's like I am not going past a certain. Right. Way. I'm not going but to Livonia. Like, what's the what? what's their fear? And I guess that takes a lot of courage to be like. You know, to go past the checkpoint, let alone to Washington, D.C. If anything, you think that it is every law agency on earth in D.C. Exactly. Um, They were really nervous. It was really hard to um, convince the parents because I was taking Mm -hmm. underage teenagers. Mm -hmm. So the youngest teenager I took was like uh, 15 years old at the time. And Mm -hmm. I took an entire uh, two van fulls of youth. So we took over 20 youth. Wow. And um it it was more convincing of the students and the students telling their parents we can't live in fear like Mm. because some of their parents literally had never left the valley so you have generations that have never seen the rest of the united states like detroit exactly never been to the west side never (laughs) been to the east side exactly Mm. so these kids you know begged their parents they told their parents um about my history my past the organizations that i worked with the people Mm. that i worked with And we were able to tell them confidently, like, look, if your student does um, get stopped, they're DACA eligible, they're low priority. At that time, we still had Obama. Mm. So Obama had this thing called Morton's Memo Mm -hmm. that if you didn't have a criminal history, 
people were not supposed to mess with you. I'm not saying everybody followed that. Right. But if you put enough media and enough attention on it, most of the time they would say, you know what, okay, we don't even want to mess with this because we have this memo out. So explaining all that to the parents, that's how we finally got to convince them. But phone calls all the time. <laughs> like phone calls to moms and dads all the time. Um, which naturally leads to where are some of those students right now? Because I'm sure a trip like that changes your whole perspective on everything. Um, so one of the girls, uh, Mariela Zavala, sh she had never left uh, Parents Undocumented DACA. She's actually now getting her PhD in California. Mm. So it expanded her horizon. She told me, she was like, you know, I don't want to stay in the Valley for the rest of my life. I want to go out. I want to do wow. bigger things. So she turned. Now she's got a PhD. Yeah. yeah she's awesome. And wow. she's, she's younger than I am, too. Wow. Um, another one of the girls, Maria, um, she's still down in the Valley, but she's studying. Um, I'm trying to think where the other kids are at right now. Uh, one of them's at uh, the Aggie school. Uh, A&M. A&M. <laughs> A&M. Mm. So, yeah, a lot of these students um, went on to college. So they either stayed in college there, but we had a couple that went to colleges outside of the Valley. Um, we were able to get them their DACA, which is Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals, um, something that Trump has been um, uh, threatening to end. Mm -hmm. I don't want to say he wants to end it, but he's been threatening to end it. Um, but it's still in effect, so it's allowed these students to be able to go out. You can, can you start just that sentence of Trump has been starting. Mm -hmm. And chances are, however you end that sentence, it's not about to be something good right. for people exactly. of color. Exactly. Can you exactly. explain DACA a little more? Just like real plain. Because, you know, we, we listen to CNN, but we need like the, the hood CNN yes, version. The, the so Piper <laughs> Carter podcast <laughs> definition. So uh, DACA is Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals. And really simply, it's... Um, a paper that says that you will not be deported. It doesn't give you citizenship. It doesn't give you anything besides a social security number so that you can work, go to school, and get a driver's license. Mm. It's only for two years. You have to renew it. Uh, it used to be 465. It's now 495 that you have to pay every two years. Mm. You also have to get biometrics done, which means you have to get your fingerprints scanned. Oh my God. So you cannot have any felonies. So literally, 100% of the people that have DACA have no felonies and you can't have a significant misdemeanor and a significant misdemeanor is up to their discretion. Mm. Man. So yeah, it's a it's a really hard process. A lot of people think like, oh, well, you guys have papers and it's easy. It's like a lot of these people are from very low income families mm -hmm. and to get the 495 every single two years, go and get your fingerprints and then a lot of agencies are not even familiar with uh, DACA. Mm -hmm. So I've had people that have run into problems getting jobs mm -hmm. because they're like, well, we can't find enough of a, of a history on you. And it's like, but if you have DACA, you literally have like the biggest background check you can get in the United States. Um, but I have friends that have still been turned down for jobs because employment doesn't get that and they well, that's what they're saying but they just don't want to hire somebody that's yep not what <laughs> exactly <laughs> right exactly. right right so can you speak about um well speak about the stuff you do speak about one michigan and forming that and then i wanted you to talk about um the, what you teach you know the community organizing you teach 
So One Michigan was started, um, officially named in 2010 by Jose Franco, Mm -hmm. and he's undocumented himself. He is a DACA recipient now. Back then, there was no undocumented-led organizations in Michigan, so he started that organization. Um, Currently, we are still the only undocumented-led organization in Detroit. Um, There are other immigrant organizations or other people that claim to work on immigration, but none of them are actually led by undocumented people. They're led by other people that are not directly affected by the issue. Mm -hmm. Um, So back in 2015, we started a community organizing fellowship. I teach that fellowship every summer, and then I teach other organizing workshops. Um, I've gone through the Harvard Institute of Nonviolent Direct Action Training, I've also gone through the Midwest Academy training for uh, supervision of organizers. And most importantly, I went through the mentorship of this guy called Mohammed Abudali. Mm -hmm. And uh, he's the one who started National Immigrant Youth Alliance. They were the youth that were undocumented themselves and they started actually coming out of the shadows and they started getting arrested as undocumented youth to prove that they had a right to stay in this country and say that they were not going to stay in the shadows. And they're the ones that actually pushed President Obama to um, enact DACA because Mm. President Obama was not doing it. So Mm. I was mentored by him. He's the most hardcore person ever. (laughs) Um, What do you mean by that? He doesn't play around. He doesn't do nice things or anything like that. And um, so when he's training me, it was like no filter. You know how some people try to be nice to you and they try to tell you the nice way? No, (laughs) if you messed up, like he told you flat out in front of everybody, didn't matter who was there and and you learned. So I learned very quickly um, what my role was as an ally in the movement because I'm not undocumented myself, Mm -hmm. even though I have undocumented friends and family. Mm -hmm. But I learned, you know, what my boundaries were and how to be an effective ally. Mm. And I learned how to do community organizing work, how to get media to pay attention. I learned how to put pressure on key points. And I learned how to do um, power mapping, Mm -hmm. which means I know how to, if I'm doing an action, I'm doing an action because I know I can win. Mm -hmm. I know who the target is. And I'm not just, I'll never just go in the streets and march to march. Like, to me, that's a really big waste of time. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're going to get all those people together, you need to have like a strategic goal. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's what I teach. That's what I teach my youth. I teach them how to organize in the streets. I teach them how to organize online. And I teach them how to think for themselves and how to speak for themselves. Mm -hmm. I work with a lot of youth in Detroit. Um, The youngest youth I've worked with are 12 years old. And uh, her name is actually Dulce Angelas. Um, She's still in One Michigan. She's 17 now. She's a junior. And she's actually leading one of our programs this summer, which is a leadership program. And she's she's developing the curriculum. Like, she's doing it all on her own because she's already been with us since she was 12. I love it. So, yeah, we... That's how I organize. It's like you have to make mistakes, you know. Right. So I let the youth do what they do, and I debrief with them afterwards. And I'm not one of these people that's like, oh, but I see it, and I know it's not going to work. Because if I tell them, they're not going to learn. Like right. they have to have see to it them themselves. Yeah. Exactly. And this is their future, you know. How am I going to rob them of their future? And if I keep coddling them, they're never going to learn how to right. do things on their own. So mm-hmm. I, 
I let them I let them make their own choices and mm -hmm. you know I, I let them speak up and some people don't like to hear what they're saying and some people will write scripts for their youth and organizations I've seen that oh, a lot I hate that I hate that like they give them a literally like this huge script <sighs> and you can see them reading it I know like the they most they don't all... believe it they don't even know it exactly right. they're like they're like reading it and then they're like what would you say how you say this word like, <laughs> exactly <laughs> i believe what is this word <laughs> you pronounce this and they're trying to pronounce it that's that's when you really know when they're trying to pronounce it they're like I, how many syllables <laughs> right. i never i never do that wait can you tell us okay so can you tell us about um standing rock the whole Standing Rock experience, um, Brennan and your experience and the feds and everything you experienced from Standing Rock. Standing Rock was horrible. Um, so to go back a little bit, I do not, I don't invade any movement or any or uh, location unless I'm asked to go. Mm -hmm. So I knew about Standing Rock, but I wasn't asked to go. So I, I hadn't gone. Mm hmm. In November, one of my friends... Uh, November when? 2016. Uh-huh. Um, Sacramento Knox. Uh, Shouts who, out to Sacramento. Yeah, he's a, he's a local artist in Detroit as well, an organizer. He came to me and he said he was talking to this guy, Dallas Goldtooth, and that they needed uh, organizers in Standing Rock to train on direct action. And he knew about all the direct action training. I actually... Um, give a, a training on how to properly get arrested or how to prepare for an arrest. Um, because the worst thing you can do is go to an action, get arrested and totally freak out mm -hmm. because then you ruin everything. Like you ruin your own mental psyche. You ruin everybody that's around you. Like um, media will take it, they'll twist it and it's, it's horrible. So I actually give an action, uh, a training on how to get arrested. So that's one of the more, I guess, famous trainings that, that mm -hmm. I'm known for. Mm -hmm. And then I also give a lot of other ones. So he told Dallas about me and he's like, Sam would be perfect to go there and to help out with trainings. And so he came to me and he was like, look, I've been talking to Dallas and they want direct action trainers. Um, can you go and can you give the trainings? Mm -hmm. So I don't go anywhere by myself. I don't do anything as one Michigan unless I ask my team. So I asked the youth and three of the youth wanted to go with me. Um, Dulce, who was 15 at the time, and then Marari um, was 19 and Yuri was 17. So those were the three youth that wanted to go. Their parents actually said yes. And uh, so we decided to go. Mm. When we went, we went with the full intentions of just being allies, of helping build, helping cook, helping with security team. Like we were literally there to work. Like we were not there for playtime. You know, mm -hmm. my youth knew that. Like we were there to work 24 seven to help out this, you know, community of Standing Rock. Um, on November 20th, 2016, um, all of a sudden you just hear shots fired Whoa. and you see the bridge and it's got like a bunch of police, like a bunch of police. They're in full riot gear and people are praying. Yeah. Yeah. People, 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 the, the yeah. people are literally like just praying and like burning sage. Exactly, exactly. And the thing is, is the direct actions that were happening, they were like mostly outside of the camp. They were never at the camp. Mm. Like they were by like where the oil workers actually were or they were like in the city, like different places. So this was literally like the camp was like 
down here, like there was a little dip and then there was a road and mm -hmm. it was literally on the road. It was on the 1803 uh, bridge, but it was, you could see it. It mm -hmm. was like, I could walk to it. And we hear this kid on a bicycle coming around. Everybody to the bridge. Everybody to the bridge. We need everybody at the bridge. We need water. We need uh, supplies, medics to the bridge. And I'm like, oh, crap. What do I do? Like, I'm sitting here. I have mm. a 15, a 17, and a 19-year-old with me. We've agreed to do no direct action. And we just kind of look at each other. And the 17-year-old was like, Sam, we got to go. And I was like, okay. Like, that's all it took. So... We went back to the car. I took gas mask with us, like just in case. Mm -hmm. um, Walkie talkies, earplugs, um, milk of magnesia, like uh, hand warmers, extra batteries. So like we went and grabbed all our supplies. The two girls were helping us get all the supplies. I gave mm -hmm. them their walkie talkies. They were like, we're going to go help the medics. You guys go to the bridge. We're going to the medics. Um, it was weird because like a bunch of white people had just surrounded our camp. They literally had just got there, right? Whoa. And we asked these white people like, hey, can you just drive us up to the bridge? Like you don't have to go into it. You don't have to go to where the action is. Like just drive us up to the bridge so we can take all of this water because they were asking for mm. water. These people were like, oh, well, we just got here and we don't want to get involved. Wait a minute. When <laughs> were they supposed to be like leftist concerned? White yes. Folks? <laughs> yes. Yes, they were supposed to be there. They were in the camps. They just invaded our camp. Like, there was a whole bunch of them, and they did not want to help. So, luckily, um, Brennan, uh, my partner, who was not my partner at the time, he just happened to drive up, and he was like, just, he was like, get in. So, we got into his truck. We drove up to the bridge, and I had never seen anything like that before. Um, there was literally people with their hands up praying like praying like legit just praying and singing and they were getting shot at Whoa. and you just hear boom boom like you just keep hearing it go off and i felt like i was i was in a war scene you were and like we're all bundled up because it was like 24 degrees out so Whoa. we literally had layers and layers like trying to run through this I'm seeing people just crying and like throwing up and holding their eyes because mm. they got mace. There was mace, tear gas, um, concussion grenades, rubber bullets. Um, what are those those other things called? And then um, water cannons as well. Like all of these different things are just shooting at people and shooting Whoa. at people. And people I, that are praying, th they were just praying like they had the most people had were gas masks on and shields. But. They were just praying. There was no other weapons. Mm. Like, nobody was shooting anything. And I couldn't believe that these people were still, like, they were still singing and praying. Like, mm. despite all this going on, like, they were literally getting shot. And they were continuing Whoa. to just pray. And there was people telling the police, like, look at yourselves. Yeah. Look what you're doing. Like, these, we have nothing. And there was a moment that Brennan just grabbed me. And a concussion grenade went off right where I was standing. Mm. And he put his body over mine when he grabbed me. And I just remember hearing, doom, doom, doom. And he got shot with like three or four Whoa. rubber bullets to his back. And like, it would have been me. Like, that was the scariest part. Mm. And so then we're just like dragging people, trying to take them to safety. Like people that got um, maced, people that got shot, that were crying, we're trying to drag them to the medics. Um, there was no like ambulances that showed up, like nothing like that. And I look over and I see my youth. And like I said, he's only 17 and 
I'd never seen him look like that before. Mm. Like, it was just pure terror in his eyes. Mm. Like, he... And, and I, I couldn't keep him there. Like, I looked at him, mm-hmm. and I'm like, hey, I'm like, you know... I was like, Isaac's in the truck. I was like, let me let me take you to... I, and he was like, yeah. And usually, he's the type of kid that's like, no, I'm going to stay. I'm going to do this. Like, he right. was the one that wanted to go up. But it was just such a terrible sight is like so horrible to experience that I, I took him back to the truck made sure he was okay and brennan and i went right back to the front lines mm. um all right now after something like that just in even hearing that like it, it just reminds me of some of the work that i've heard with snick and mm-hmm. different things because i definitely do not stand it'd be tough for me to go through the nonviolent training but i'm understanding of the message that is taken but in instances like that like in response does violence ever become like something that you would think like okay this is a time where yeah yes it's time to start killing some of these people yes okay i just wanted to know because like as you're telling this story (laughs) all i'm thinking to myself and that's where like i mean i i I don't know if i can even be in movements like this because it's like yo it is time to start murdering people and that's the thing. When I saw on uh, the TV that they literally released dogs on people mm. and they let these dogs attack these innocent women, children, and people, I honestly didn't want to go to Standing Rock because I was like, I can't stay prayerful. This is not what I would do. Mm. Like, I would want to get back at these people because they initiated mm. the violence first. Mm. And I mean, to be very clear, this white supremacist system that we are living in right now that is initiation of violence to begin with so anything Mm. that we react with Mm. they have already been violent towards us Mm -hmm. so any Mm. any action that goes down like it's already warranted there's no they have to push us first like you've been oppressing us for over 500 years for like you've already started it Mm -hmm. but the reason i didn't engage in violence in standing rock was because it wasn't my movement it wasn't my place and i had i had to fall back as the ally Mm -hmm. and after I left, I had no, I had no reason to go back at first. I didn't want to go back. We were supposed to stay there for the 11, 10 days. We ended up saying 11. Um, but it was when my partner actually got charges. Can you t- tell us about that? You, you guys got to hear this story. This is, this story is incredible in, so, a, in a not good way. Yeah. So my partner, his name is Brennan Estacio. Uh, he went by Bravo one in camp on October 27th. Um, 2016 this guy went into the camp his name was kyle thompson um and he claimed that he went there to take pictures of um equipment that was on fire for the dakota access pipeline no he is that guy was is half native and half white yes and he was in the military yes ex-military or military yep he was in the military and he also was working for the pipeline yes he was working for latent security company that was contracted through the pipeline and so he went to take these pictures except in his car he had gasoline in his truck and he got caught they seen weapons in his truck and they were like you're in camp we have no weapons here why are you here? They started to question him. He took off. Um, some guys rammed into his truck to stop his truck. And he got out of his truck. He put um, sleeves over his arms to cover up his identifying tattoos. 
and he pulled out an AR-15, an assault rifle. He loaded it with a 30-round clip, put another 30-round clip in his pocket, and started pointing it at people. And when he was pointing it at innocent people, of course, you know, people are screaming over the radio. This guy's got a, a gun. He's got a gun. My partner was... Um, wait, wait. When you say over the radio, who who was on what radio? Oh, sorry. They had walkie-talkies in the camps. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody had walkie-talkies to communicate, like, big camps. So, like, mm-hmm. Channel 7 was the one that, like, everybody communicated on. Mm-hmm. Because it was actually a dead zone there. You couldn't mm-hmm. use your cell phone or anything. They blocked the signals. Mm-hmm. So they started saying that over the walkie-talkies. My partner heard. He stopped his truck. He seen the guy with the gun. And he immediately went towards him and advanced towards him, trying to get him to stop. Wait, wait. He sees a guy with an AR-15 pointed at people. He stops and he goes towards the guy. Yeah. (laughs) He's crazy. He's crazy. But the thing is, is his son and his nephew were with him at camp. He Mm. didn't know where his son was, where his nephew was. So that's all that was on his mind. He's He's like, I got to get my son. Exactly. He's like, they have to be safe. So he went right towards them. Um, he had his hands up. He started yelling at the rest of the people, you know, shut up, stop agitating him. Cause they were, mm. they were yelling at him, you know, telling mm-hmm, him this mm-hmm. and that. And he was like, just trying to calm him down. He was telling him like, look, when the police get here, like they're going to shoot you. Like, this is what cops do. They see, you know, weapons out. Cause he didn't know who he was. Cause this guy was dressed as a camper. Like, he was dressed like he would be in camp. He wasn't dressed in security or anything like that. Was like, he, does he, did he present as white or did he present as native? He presented as, I'm with you guys. Mm. I'm within my... But I'm guessing there was a lot of white people in the camp, too. So exactly. you didn't really know because of those, some of those mm-hmm. leftists that didn't want to go to the bridge. Right. Or yeah, yeah. But, um, <laughs> but in that, let me... And this is this is part of the trauma of living in the black community. I've walked towards a lot of people with guns before, too. Um, some, you know, it's it sometimes like it, you're not even thinking when situations like that happen. Yeah. In the in the present, like the presence of mind mm-hmm. more so is like, all right, I believe diplomacy will diffuse this situation a lot better than the person that's getting mm-hmm. the gun pointed at. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and this is years of being in the rap community. Yeah, it happens. You know it happens. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I've had, I've had my, I've had my moments. Yeah, where I've had to do that. I yeah, knew the person. Happen. I knew the person that was doing it. That's different. Yeah, yeah, that's different. You know what I'm saying? Like I knew the person that was doing it, and also too, the person that was doing it was black and a rapper, and not some random white looking guy with AR-15 <laughs> yeah yeah right and an AR-15 yeah. like that's the same gun that was used in the Florida shooting like <laughs> right. that's a huge assault rifle oh, it's different God. from you know a pistol like right. an AR-15 we are, we are very aware and it's so funny like almost like every summer it's like the chopper like you know I, I was I was uh in this same like the presence of like you know, guns being such an entity in America, period. Mm-hmm. But like most summers, like right now, I'm surprised I haven't gotten that text. Like I, you get group massive text messages. Just no one rappers. Like where it's like, yo, if you want an AR, you can get one out the box for oh. fifteen hundred. Like you, I get these text messages. You know what I'm saying? Protect so it's yourself. Like, what in the hell is get going on? Get your CCW. On? Yeah, but this is the. <laughs> I mean, you know, and and the ninety nine dollars. Basically, it's like okay, so what what type of the type of gun with bodies on and then this is the other layer of 
how I've uh, accepted murder and guns in my community. The thought process is not like it, it's too before I think to myself like why would you want an assault rifle? It's how many bodies is on that assault rifle? Right. Which is a whole nother whole way nother we've layer. accepted right. murder. Mm-hmm. We've accepted uh, death culture. Uh, uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, death culture. I would say uh, wet uh, tools that are used to murder people. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I move. That's like third on the list. Is like, why would somebody want one of these? It's yeah. Like, how many bodies they got on it? And then mm. the second thing is like, would you trust the type of person that would sell you? Right. Those are the first two thoughts. <laughs> yes, those are definitely the first two thoughts. Yeah, but continue. Oh, yeah. So, um, so Brennan he, goes towards him. So Brennan goes towards him. Um, he's able to talk to him. He's able to calm him down. That's amazing. And uh, the BIA finally shows up. Who's that? Uh, the Bureau of Indian Affairs. So mm-hmm. it's like um, the police that they use on the reservations. Mm-hmm. And they they take this guy in. The guy. But, but Brennan calls him, right? Yeah, like yeah, like if you see the pictures, Brennan's literally in the water with his hands up, and the guy's still pointing the gun at him, and everybody else is, you know, fairly amount back, and the BIA comes walking in, they shake Brennan's hand, they thank him for talking this guy down, mm-hmm. and they take Kyle Thompson into custody. Well, the FBI showed up. Wait, wait, but the other part that Brennan told me, he walks up to the guy. Puts his hand on the barrel. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and is able to talk to the guy in his eyes while with his hand on the barrel. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> yeah, sometimes we do <laughs> shit like that. Yeah, yeah. It was. Oh, man. It was. Brennan. It, it's, it's even more insane because Ooh. this guy actually got arrested several times later. And we found out that he's a huge meth addict. Oh. So his girlfriend came out and said he was on meth during that incident. So, like, you know, you have a crazy person that's nuts or whatever, and they have an AR-15. But you have a person that has been up for days. They said, like, he had literally been up, and he was on meth, and he was doing all of this. And Brennan went towards him. Of course, Brennan didn't know any of that at the time. Of course not. But... Nah. But it's, it's nuts. we should always assume anybody with an open assault rifle is on some substance. Mm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's so, just go in with that thought. Mm. So after uh, the Thank BIA took that. him, and then the FBI came and they let Kyle Thompson go, and he didn't get any charges whatsoever. No. Um, he no drug tests. No, he was driving that truck. He didn't even have a license. Wait, so, another layer in my understanding of. And then that's another term I don't really like, reservation rights. The FBI has has uh, can enter into a reservation. I thought that the whole concept of the reservation is this is independent into their own. So um, the BIA is actually through the federal program. So it's really messed up on the reservations your charges that you get are automatically escalated because they have no like lower court system and it's all federal so anything that you get is automatically like a felony wow i never i always (laughs) thought that the whole concept of the reservation yeah no like i say i don't like that term is that it's it's laws it's land and it's uh completely autonomous of that's what I thought, too. Um, but no, it's very heavily in with the federal government and the FBI came and 
um, since Kyle Thompson wasn't, reg- uh, I guess, registered to that try or whatever, they just came. They, they came in and they took him. The FBI mm. took him and they let him go. He got no charges, nothing. He was just let go completely free. And this guy pointed. Let we, let's back up. Yes. <sighs> How many people are on the camp? Like oh. when this guy comes with his assault rifle. Like in like in that area, there was hundreds, that's 200, 300 people wow. at least, like in that area. And it was mostly women and children. Yeah, it was a lot of women and children because that's who started the camp. So. so this guy comes, points an assault rifle at a couple hundred women and children and doesn't get arrested. Nope. He's got but, zero charges. Remember, the FBI is rooted in being started by a man that intentionally wanted to murder Marcus Garvey, mm-hmm. Mega Evers, Martin right. Luther King. Exactly. Let's be very explicit that exactly. the FBI's roots was built in the whole concept of. Mm-hmm. What were the acronyms for the department that looks after the reservation camps? Uh, BIA. The and you're Bureau saying that they're Indian a subdivision of the FBI. Yep. Very Basically, of federal government. I shouldn't say directly un- under the FBI, but of mm-hmm. federal government. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, so Kyle got z- absolutely zero. Um, he was arrested later again um, for beating his girlfriend until she was unconscious and having needles in his car and meth. And this was just, a, I, I want to say, maybe six months after the incident with the AR-15. Wow. But not pointing at, at an AR-15 <laughs> at a couple hundred women and kids. Oh, yeah. No. <laughs> no, he didn't He didn't get anything for that. And um, my partner, Brennan, ended up in December. He found out from his nephew that he was on Morton County's most wanted list. And he got a Wait, state Brennan. charge. Brennan. Is. Brennan. Brennan, Bravo One. The yep. one that saved all the people. The yep. one that saved the couple of hundred yep. <laughs> women mm-hmm. and children yep. on the reservation from yep. being slaughtered. Exactly. By putting his body in front of everybody. By putting his body in front of an AR-15 and, and getting it, the rifle out the guy's hand and calling the Bureau of Indian Affairs. He is the most wanted. Yep. He got a charge for terrorizing Kyle Thompson. Whoa. That was his charge, terrorizing a Class C felony for terrorizing Kyle Thompson. At that incident. They're calling that incident him terrorizing him. Well, clearly, whoever this Kyle Thompson is, is connected to something. Like, he's on some George Zimmerman stuff. (laughs) And clearly also... What is he, like a black ops? What is this guy? He's probably related to some his white family has like is a judge or something like that and clearly like his girlfriend that's white must also have like a judge father too for him to get charges for that so you know good old justice he's in some military crap yeah oh yeah that's that's exactly what it was and uh a month after he got the december charges for the state charges he got more charges oh um, and this was in end of January, early February. He got federal charges this time. So these are feds that charged him with a civil disorder and use of fire to commit a federal crime. Um, the civil disorder charge was actually created in 1969 to go over uh, to go after the anti-war activists and the black liberation activists to take out the leaders. They use mm. the civil disorder charge because a civil disorder can literally be whatever they want. 
So you mm. could be at a protest and walk on the street instead of the sidewalk and they could say, you know what, that's a civil disorder. We're taking you in. And that is an automatic felony. And uh, the the use of fire, there was a there was a fire on the bridge and there was a lot of people around there. Um, but there was a rat that named Brennan supposedly and said that this was him that was inside the camp. And this guy is res- regarded as a hero. But because he named Brennan, Brennan now has charges. And this same guy, his name is Michael Marcus. He was actually the one who started the November 20th incident. Mm. The November 20th incident was not um, sanctioned by the elders. Nobody was supposed to be on that bridge. Like they literally had orders do not be on that bridge. But this guy went there with his semi truck and started trying to remove the barricades. Mm. And that's when the cops used that as an excuse to start shooting and to start Mm. doing all of this other stuff. So to me, he's 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 an agitator. He's a he's a on the feds payroll. Exactly, exactly. But yeah, he's agent provocateur, as the old people used to say. Exactly, exactly. But a lot of people have had a hard time connecting those dots. Mm -hmm. So they still regard this guy as a hero, and he literally never did anything in the camp. Sam, Mm. in the black community, it's a lot of people regarded as heroes that I'm sure. We got more than one check from the CIA. Whoa. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Man. So then, so then, how did that experience with uh, Standing Rock land you to come to Flint and your work with Flint, and then discover the FBI informants and things that you discovered? So I started my work in Flint um, back in. 2015 um 2015 early 2016 um i got a call from san juani olivares that was working with the undocumented community in flint that the spanish-speaking community did not know about the lead poisoning until much later Mm -hmm. because they never put out any information in spanish Mm -hmm. so she called one Michigan knowing the work that we did and asked us if we could help translate. So mm-hmm. my youth from my organization actually stayed up hours straight translating all of this medical information so that the next day we drove to Flint and we started passing this out to all of the neighbors that were Spanish speaking. Mm-hmm. So that's how I initially had ties to Flint. Mm-hmm. Then I went to Standing Rock and after Standing Rock was done, there was rumors that they wanted to take Standing Rock to Flint. Mm. Yeah, there was. There was. A, there's a Facebook group. Yep. Yep. Standing yeah. Rock with Flint or something yeah. like that. Yeah. So when I first went, um, there was this rally that was supposed to be Standing Rock with Flint. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I I used to work at a nonprofit and I begged my boss to let me go and to take youth and for her to go. Mm-hmm. And she literally told me, Sam, this better not be just some like white person trying to get some publicity. And I was like, no, 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 no. Like it's Standing Rock. Like it's going to be legit. Yeah. Yeah. It was a white guy. His name was Ryan Laurie. Mm. He used to be the vice president of the skinheads in Flint. Whoa. Back in 2007, he got into um, some trouble. It was like grand larceny or something like that. Some big charge. He did very minimal time. A record that you can't find you can't mm. find his mugshot you can't find mm. nothing okay. except for an art one article that m live did 
about the skinheads and at the end it said ryan laurie got in trouble for this this that's the only thing you can find on thank it thank you m live and then all <laughs> of a sudden in 2012 he said he was reformed and he's not a skinhead anymore and he wants to work with people of color oh, and he wants to be God. a savior and he's actually running for office in flint now and he oh. wanted to start a camp a camp promise and he was using the aim flag the american indian movement that's their organization. He was mm -hmm. using their flag in pictures, had their shirt saying that AIM approved this when that was Whoa. not true at all. Mm. I talked to actual AIM members. They called me. They're like, what's going on? This is your state. And I was like, I have nothing to do with it. I had Flint organizers calling me. Um, I met with Claire McClinton, talked to Melissa Mays, San Juana, like all these organizers in Flint. Mm -hmm. They were like, what are the Standing Rock people doing here? And I was like, they're not Standing Rock. Don't be fooled. <laughs> I was like, they mm -hmm. might be calling themselves Standing Rock, but they were actually there to gather information. It was a lot of informants that mm -hmm. were the same people that were tied to Michael Marcus. Mm -hmm. who and, was, and remind us Michael Marcus again. You said it earlier, but just remind yeah. people. Michael Marcus was the one who turned in my my partner, my boyfriend, to mm -hmm. get him charges in, in the first place. Right. And then there was this other guy, Mike Fazig. Mm -hmm. And Mike Fazig is actually the one who ran this guy off of the road into people, which mm. never added up to me. Because I'm like, if he's leaving in his truck, why would you run his truck into the crowd of people? Why wouldn't you just let him leave and, you know, chase after him or whatever? But you rammed him into people. And this Mike Faza guy, he was also just doing a lot of things at camp that didn't add up. Mm. And all of them started coming here to Flint. Mm. And they started trying to collect information. They started trying to get really close to organizers. Mm. And they were actually planning to do protests and get a bunch of people arrested in Lansing. Mm. And there was this woman, Chelsea Lyons and Angelo Sison, that started a second camp, Camp uh wolves den because they said they didn't want to be around ryan laurie because they were like oh he is a skinhead we don't want to be around him mm. but then yet i had people that went to the camp that i knew mm -hmm. like to be eyes for me mm -hmm. and ryan laurie was at that camp mm. so i'm like how can you say you're starting a separate camp when he's there with you so they were all together they were all trying to gather information and they were all trying to get lead organizers and get people arrested. Like, mm. that was their whole thing. Mm. Because if if we actually backtrack, um, there's this organization called Tiger Swan that was hired to go in and to agitate in Standing Rock. They hired informants to go in. Yeah, that, I, would, I would say that that happens so often that, you yeah. know, that people are... And then the, the other tragedy about a lot of this, and man, Piper, your podcast is amazing that you got guests like this because people do not get information. People do not get information like this anywhere. But, but uh, and people think that I'm crazy when I talk about stuff like this. But um, that is such a classic tactic mm -hmm. to, to, and it's tragic that so many, that the the resources are so scarce in some of these communities that don't have uh, that right. are not connected to white men that are middle yeah. aged mm -hmm. that you can probably pay a person you know you can probably pay bucks. a person fifty dollars and then mm -hmm. they'll be like all I gotta do is just yell and start cussing yep or right. throw something at people and then it'll get other you know Ferguson and, yeah. yeah yep yeah yeah and that's exactly what happened and Tiger Swan actually I forgot to mention this but. 
they actually had some leaked documents um, that went out through um, another media of uh, medium. And remember how I said I was asked to go because I had direct action training. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that was actually a tactic that they were using to get experienced organizers to come to Standing Rock so they could start surveilling them. Mm-hmm. And they wanted to set those people up so they could get them charges because they wanted to identify the leaders. So, mm. I mean, my friend didn't know about that. You know, Knox mm-hmm. didn't know anything about that. But yeah. that was all the bigger plan is why they wanted to yeah. get them all in the same room. I mean, mm. right now, um, as we stand, you know, well, what, how far are we away from Chicago? It don't really make a difference. But uh, Cointel Pro mm. and yeah. the murder yep. of Fred, Fred Hampton, Hampton. Mm-hmm. is a classic example Agreed. of uh, mm-hmm. rest in power. Of of mm. the way that, yeah, the like like I say, the roots of FBI, yeah, even with you know the knock against uh, Mayor Kilpatrick or mm-hmm. people saying that like the FBI, hopefully they get Trump. It's like the FBI has <laughs> no. always been rooted in the whole concept of mm-hmm. I've never liked fed cases because the idea is that you are innocent till proven guilty, which is a lie in this justice system, but federal organizations naturally create a target and Mm -hmm. then just drill down and get any information so anything federal based is built on creating targets Mm -hmm. and finding any information and precedents Mm -hmm. i know Mm -hmm. i know a guy that set the precedent for uh moving pills from down south to up north right now that's serving a lot of time shout out to the family but he built a standing precedent from fed cases, which he'd have never even been explored or found out if it wasn't for the insidious, illegal, uh, 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 I would say destructive, nefarious. corrosive, nefarious, evil ways mm-hmm. that any of these federal organizations conduct business. Mm-hmm. So the FBI, we should always assume, is oh. never... <laughs> In the best interest Ever. of the community. Oh, I got so I got so scared of them because um, back in 2013, after I got my arrest in Department of Labor, mm. uh, I did an action called Bring Them Home. Mm. And it had never been done before where I actually brought back undocumented immigrants that had been previously deported. And I brought them back either using uh, asylum, uh, humanitarian parole, and... Um, it was like a, a legal way, but it was like a loophole. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people were really angry that we did this and mm-hmm. we brought people through the border. It was an entire action. And after I did that and I kept organizing, my friends started getting calls from the FBI. Mm. And my friend Rocky told me like, the FBI was at my house looking for you. Mm. And I had come here to Michigan. So I wasn't in Texas at the time. And I was just like, what are you talking about? He's like, the FBI came by, they were knocking on my door, I answered and they were looking for you, they showed me your badges. And I was like, what? And then I get a call from my other friend and he's like, hey, the FBI called me and they're looking for you and he's undocumented. So I was like, what is going on? So I decided to chill from the extreme organizing that I was doing back then, You mean come back you, here. When you, what, what, are you, what are you calling extreme organizing, just so we're clear? Extreme organizing to me, was direct <laughs> direct action <laughs> <laughs> existing <laughs> existing right um 
but yeah, it was just uh, the tactics that we were doing that were unconventional, but they mm-hmm. were legal. Mm-hmm. Like I said, it was nothing illegal. You can present yourself at the border and ask for humanitarian parole. You can present yourself and ask for asylum. You, you can ask for these things, but it had never been done in a mass quantity before. And that's what we were doing. And that's why the, the, the feds were ticked off. Like, mm-hmm. that's why they were they were mad. That's why they were heavily um, they were surveilling me. I remember I was in Michigan for an entire year and I was working. I had worked at the Boys and Girls Club, the Champions, like a bunch of different places. And my friend went to Mexico and she came back and they actually delayed her at the border and was interrogating her about me Mm. specifically. And I hadn't even been to Mexico, hadn't been to Texas in like a year. But they were like, how do you know Samantha Magdaleno? What is your connection to her? And they just kept grilling her and grilling her. And so that's when I was like, okay, I need to be a lot more strategic about my organizing. I need to start training people. Mm-hmm. And, and that's when I actually started the fellowship mm-hmm. because I have a target on my back and I know that. Mm-hmm. Like when I, when I seen the Sandra Bland video come out and I seen that she was crying and she was like, she was very upset before, you know, all that mm-hmm. happened. And she mm-hmm. was like, you know, they killed me. Like it triggered so many thoughts in my head of that could be me like i've had the fbi at my door i've had Mm. the fbi looking for me i've done these actions that they think like i said before like existing as a brown black person in this country like that is the resistance like your existence is the resistance yeah like us just being here and us not falling in line and us challenging that system puts an entire it puts it's a a target on your back i have two questions for you how do you change how did you change so quickly in your mind the fear you had into fuel most people would have said now, I don't want to talk about most people. A lot of people would have said, I'm backing off this completely. I got this degree. Let me chill. Let me open up a business. Let me do the community activism this way. What was that thought process like to go from, I got to be smarter, not let me go in a different direction? Like I said, growing up, I seen the disparity. And once you've seen the disparity, you can't erase that from your mind, or at least I couldn't. Mm-hmm. So there is nothing that I can do. Like, it's true. I have my bachelor's of arts in psychology. I have a master's degree in communications. I could leave organizing at any time and actually get a job where I'm making, you know, decent money or whatever. But I choose to do this because my my people are being under attack and we can't keep avoiding it. Like, we've been avoiding it this whole time, but look at what happened in Standing Rock. And if Mm. it can happen in Standing Rock, it can happen in any other city. It can continue to happen. So I I couldn't. I couldn't ignore it. I had to stand up. And like I said, I had to be smarter. And I had to prepare for my demise. I had to prepare Mm. for my death. And it's, it's weird saying it, you know, being so young in my early 20s. But I knew that I had to get the training that I had, the privilege that I had to take all this training, and I had to give it to youth because if anything happened to me, they're still not stopping me. They're still not stopping my thought process. There's still all of these other mm. youth that I've trained. There's all these other people that, you know, I've I've prepared. So that was that was my thought process. I just I couldn't let it end. I can't let them win. You know, my ancestors struggled for me to be here. Um 
back in the day when my great grandmother immigrated to this country or came back to this country or however you want to say it, my great grandma uh, Clarita, she worked on a farm with her kids and she had a baby at the time. And this farm owner treated my family like worse than animals. And when they were working and they were picking fruits, they, she would have to put her baby under a car because it was so hot and they wouldn't allow the baby in the house. And she had to work to feed her other kids. So her baby, her youngest child, ended up dying because of these conditions. Mm. This is not something that's going to change in this country by us assimilating or becoming like them. Because or being they nice. Don't. Exactly, or being nice. Like that, We have to resist and we have to have people that stand up and and are willing you know willing to put it all on the line i don't have any children of my own i mentor a lot of youth i had custody of my sister i take care of my other siblings but directly i'm not responsible of any children so i need to pull my weight in this movement and i need to make sure that i'm doing everything that i can to make the future better for our kids and our generations so okay so that brings us to you're running for a state rep. Yeah. What is a state rep? Man. First off, I didn't want to run. <laughs> <laughs> like, I want to make that really clear. Like, I've never been into politics, like, ever in my life. Like, I, this was never a decision that I was like, oh, one day I want to be state representative or mayor or governor. Like, none of that ever went through my head. Mm-hmm. Um, the reason I decided to run for state representative right now is because we have no representation in office when it comes to um, Latinos in office Mm -hmm. and we have no representation for anybody that's going to push for immigration Mm -hmm. in office and right now with Trump we have no we have no like even wish or hope for anything to pass federal level to protect our undocumented communities Mm -hmm. so we need to be creative when Mm -hmm. it comes to state policies Mm -hmm. And nobody wants to get creative in policies and politics. Nobody wants to get creative. They want to stay in a box. Democrats don't want to, like, put a toe out of line. So I started talking to uh, Jose Franco, like I said, the founder Mm -hmm. of One Michigan. And he was like, look, you have to run. And at first I thought he was joking. I was like, dude, like, that's funny. (laughs) Like, we were looking at the list of people who are running. And I was like, nah, I was like, "You're, you're funny. And he was like, no, he's like, I'm. I'm dead serious. Like, you need to run. Yeah. And he was like, I would run, but I'm undocumented. I can't run. Mm. He, he was like, so if you are going to be a true ally in this movement, he was like, you need to get into office. He was like, you know immigration policy better than most immigration attorneys. You do. You do. <laughs> yeah. So he was like, you need to get in there mm-hmm. and you need to convince these people to come up with creative solutions to protect our community. Mm-hmm. He was like, and nobody else is going to do that. He was like, look at the list of people that are running. And I looked through the list. He was like, none of them are immigrant champions. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, you know, okay, fine. So I decided to run for office. And the more we started thinking about it, the more we see that we need more community organizers to run for office, no matter yeah. what office it is. Because the people that are in office right now, most of them are egotistical. Mm. Like the majority of people that are in office is because they were like, like, like talk to them, like, or read their bios. They'll be mm. like, because I'm the best, because I thought this. And I we wonder, we, and we wonder how we got 45. 
exactly <laughs> exactly i'm like yo if you're that like egotistical and about yourself that you had to make the decision that you were the best to run for office you probably shouldn't be running for office mm. like i'm running for office because my community told me this is what we needed mm-hmm. like we had a sit down we had multiple people in the room and they said yes this is what we need this is what we want from you right do it and mm-hmm. i was like all right you know it's a pain but i'm gonna do it and mm-hmm. not only am I going to do it for myself, I'm going to try to convince other community organizers that I've been working with across the country. So with Standing Rock, um, I was also in Houston after the hurricane helping out there. Mm-hmm. Um, all of the immigration stuff, like I'm going to start hardcore trying to convince these people run for office. We can change this. Mm. Now, I'm a revolutionary. I believe in the revolution. I believe in fighting for liberation. And I'm not shy about that. Mm -hmm. So many people have told me, Sam, you can't say revolution. You can't say (laughs) liberation. You're running for office. You need to put on a pantsuit. Like, you see me. I have jeans on right now and a Mm t-shirt. This is what I go out in. (laughs) They they do. They're trying to grand home you. They they want me to look like Hillary Clinton. I'm like, no. Grand home you. That's what that is. Grand home in you. And, and it's not going to happen because if I'm running for politics, I told them, like, I'm going to run on myself, my morals, my ethics. I'm not bending on anything. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to try to motivate others to get involved, motivate more people to vote, mm-hmm. especially in local elections. Right. State representative. To be honest, I, I don't hold any, like, ultimate power. Like, I can't mm-hmm. get elected and all of a sudden I can change, like the world Mm -hmm. but what i can do is i can be a fierce voice in legislation in Mm -hmm. lansing Mm. and i can not let these white men walk all over me Mm. and that's what happens and most time democrats are our own worst enemies Mm. democrats fold all the time they don't want to fight they settle for way less than anything i mean we would have had the dream act back in um, 2010 But it was because of five Democrats that voted against it Mm. because they didn't want more border security. They didn't want more uh, border patrol agents. And I forget the other parameters. But wait, 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 wait. You're you're telling us what they said. What happened was they got paid. Well, exactly. Let's just just be explicit. They got paid. Exactly. But the point of me telling you what what they said they didn't want, Mm -hmm. all of that has been passed since then. Mm. So they can't even hide behind that because everything that they said that they didn't want to pass has since passed. And it's Mm. passed and we have no pathway to citizenship for these undocumented youth. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's always it's like a moving target. Like, Mm. I mean, whatever lie. You know, whatever exactly. lie these white people tell us. And, and they construct it that you have to be a part of these one of these parties. Because oh, tell us about that, because you were telling me about you learned so much about this process yeah. of uh, politics through running for office. Yes. And so these, hip us, hip us to the game. Oh, my gosh. OK, so <laughs> first, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to drop some stuff on y'all. <laughs> And I'm, I'm not going to have any filters because I never do. Um, so I wanted to run as an independent because I don't see myself as a Democrat. I don't see myself closely aligning with Democrats. If I have to pick between Republican Democrat, yes, I'm going to pick more with the Democrats. But I wanted to run as an independent. But then I found out that we have straight ticket voting here in mm-hmm. Michigan. So if you run as an independent, you have like no shot. 
Like literally you have no shot because of straight ticket voting, which means you get a ballot and at the top you can say, I want to vote all Republican or I want to vote all Democrat. Mm -hmm. And most of our voters do straight ticket voting here. So they Mm. see, they're like, okay, the Democrats, they're the best. That's it. They don't look at the name. So if Mm. you run as an independent, like you're, you're out of, you you know, you can't, Mm -hmm. you can't do anything. Mm. So that's the only reason I decided to run as a Democrat. So when I decided to run as a Democrat, I started looking into um, past budgets and how much money people put into campaigns. Because I'm, I'm from Southwest Detroit. Like, I'm not from big money. I don't Mm -hmm. have money like that. So to me, you have to be as frugal as possible with every penny you get. Like we Mm -hmm. just got our C3 for, or we just applied for our C3 for One Michigan, but we just got like a place and we're getting free toilets off of Craigslist. Like Mm -hmm. we're not, we don't have money like that. So. Oh, that's a hell of a gamble right there. (laughs) Talk about community organizing. (laughs) It really is. (laughs) Man. But so we started looking into the budget and um, I seen that one of the candidates or one of the past candidates spent over a hundred thousand dollars on campaigning and they won by 70 percent. And to me, that was a huge waste. How can Democrats say that money shouldn't be in politics, but yet you're here running and in this district, a Democrat is going to win? Like that's for for state representative. A Democrat is going to win in this district. I represent Ecorse, River Rouge and parts of Detroit. So it's it's going to be a Democrat. Mm -hmm. How can you responsibly run against other Democrats and spend that much money? And you won by a huge margin. I could see like, you know, if it was a tighter race, I could see if you were running against a really horrible person like Trump, like, mm-hmm. and you're, you're like, okay, they're going to use a lot of money. So I have to use a lot of money, mm-hmm. but there's no reason I would to do that. I would argue. And like I say, people think that I'm always a conspiracy theorist. I don't even think it's conspiracy. Sometimes you spend so much money just so that people know, cause it's setting the standard to fear, to draw fear into everybody else. So it's like, I'm going to overspend and spend three hundred thousand dollars so that person that just has three thousand thinks oh man i can't compete and this is another lie that has been presented through the concept of economics and money and the way we value it Mm -hmm. in america Mm -hmm. so it's like i'm gonna overspend just intentionally to draw fear in a person without that probably has the number one resource and i Mm -hmm. hate to say this to 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 and i'm saying i hate to say this in the sense of like for the person listening that holds on to it but i guess i love to say it the best way to campaign is to get up and go door to door because yeah. most of those people yep. are going to just send out mailers exactly. because they're actually afraid of the community yep. Yep. they're afraid a pit bull yep. gonna walk up on them <laughs> yep. god knows yep. they're afraid of walking up on a person yep. and actually shaking their hands and talking to them exactly. so the 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 idea of spending money is just to throw out there like look Look, I'm going to just, you know, I got $300,000. You can't yep. run. Just wait yep. till next time around when yep. the seat opens up or whatever. So it's way more of a brain game. But if you get out there and really pound the pavement and you have the the actual uh, social capital, people will truly know you and you're not just relying on uh Because, I mean, most Democrats rely on unions and pastors Mm -hmm. to talk to people Mm -hmm. in these same antiquated groups Mm -hmm. that probably aren't in the people because they say Mm -hmm. these are the people that vote. Mm -hmm. But it's so few people that vote. It's it's. Oh, yeah. 
hundreds of thousands of people that aren't voting because they've given up on the whole system. So you could just reach these people that these other groups have labeled as non-voters. Yep. And you'll probably win. And it's funny that you say that because uh, I met with the guy that used to be a former state representative and he's um, he's backing another candidate. Right. And I went to him because they told me it was respect and you have to meet with certain people. And, you know, my campaign manager, he's the one that's a little more into mm-hmm. like the traditional like campaign stuff. Mm-hmm. And I'll fold on certain things like I've told them, I'm like, OK, you know, if I have to do these politics things, I'll do certain things. Not everything. The pantsuit's not happening. But, but certain things, <laughs> it'll happen. So I go to meet with this guy. And he told me, he's like, well, you know, this guy, he's a lawyer, so he's going to raise all of this kind of money. He's like, how are you going to do that? He's like, your people don't have money. He's like, he's a lawyer. He has all lawyer friends. And I just kind of looked at this guy. And this guy is looked at as a leader. Hmm. Like, he's supposed to be a leader, a nonprofit leader, supposed to be respected, Democrat, whatever. I'm, I'm sure I know this gentleman. I'm sure he's in my phone. And let me tell you, to him, like I've been telling these people for forever, it's a lot of communities that are labeled as poor where the people are willing to give some money, but these goofy people only label these other organizations for money. Kresge, Kellogg, uh, you know, these Catholic and these Jewish-based organizations that are choosing which organizations to back, night, all of these groups. Forget them. It's a lot of people that are labeled as poor that would put money behind you. And you'd be surprised. You would be surprised. And you just got to not look at these same couple of people because that's what makes them feel high and mighty as they're the only sources to get money from. Yep. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what I said to him. And it was just it was a subtle racism that was coming off to him that this guy didn't even know me. Like, that's the thing. I never met this guy before. I've heard of him. Like, like, he's in the circles. But, like, I, you know, I didn't know him. They're talking at you. (laughs) Yeah. And Mm -hmm. and for him to tell me that, I'm like, I also went to school. Mm -hmm. I also have friends that are in law school that are doctors. Like, who are you to just look at me and see a Latina from Southwest Detroit? And he just quickly assumed that I was uneducated, that I had no connections, that I had nothing. And I'm like, who are you as a white man to tell me this? And then later, listen to this. Later, my friend is also uh, running and she's a black woman. And he told me, I told her not to run. This is not her time. I was like, who are you to tell a black woman that it's not? You're white. And I hate when they say that. What the hell does that mean? I always hear them say, uh, it's not her time. What are you talking about? That's not his place to say. And you're supposed to, the thing is, is we're supposed to be working on equity right now, right? That's yeah. what all the nonprofits yeah. are saying right now. Yeah. Is that we're supposed to be working. Don't believe any of these groups. I know. I mean, in reality, as, oh, yeah. as we all, saw, Donald Trump oh, was one God. of Hillary Clinton's <laughs> biggest uh, biggest campaign donors. Right. So, I mean, we can't, we can't get caught in the semantics of any of these groups and any of the rhetoric that they spew. Because obviously they are not involving themselves in yeah. these communities. Because oh, yeah. we ain't seeing them. We right. got to support oh, yeah. one another. That was just an intimidation tactic. That's all it was. Yeah. And, and like these same organizers that we sit with at yeah. these tables that you know, Piper, that we yeah. sit with that are even in deal. Right. That have told me multiple times, Sam, you should run. You're a community organizer. You right. should run. When I went to them and I told them I was running, oh, this is not your time. Oh, we we wow, want this man. person. And, it, and it's all institutional. Like everybody that I'm running against, like they're all institutional. They've been training for this. They've been like, you know, um, interning for this representative or within this one. And I'm like, really? Like y'all are 
supporting yeah. these people yeah, when you've probably... been lying to us this whole time? Mm, Piper, I'm sure do. people have told you to run. All the time. See? And once, once you me, do it, they're going to tell you no. <laughs> all, the, all the people come to me, oh, you should run, you should run, yep. you should run. I'm like, yep. well, I run at the gym like <laughs> every day. <laughs> but I, I back, I like, I, I'm going to, I back people. I'm going to back, I'm backing you. I'm Thank backing you. Sadie. Man. Sadie's going to come on here and talk too. She represents the African immigrants. She was the one I was talking to that got told not to run. Of course. Yep. She's running. Yep. Mm-hmm. Shouts out to Sadie. You coming on our <laughs> podcast. Yes. <laughs> Tell us about what. But the, the, so for me, when I'm in community, right, and I talk to these same people, um, they're older than me. I'm 46, so some of them have age on me. Most of them have age on me. And what they tell me is um, that we have to get behind the people that we believe in. We have to get behind our candidates. So to me, that's what I'm doing by talking to you, asking Mm. you to come on here and speak to people so people can hear for themselves and listen, right? And I feel like the reason that people, well, many of the many reasons that our people don't vote, in addition to having their uh, rights violated, having their voice silenced, having uh, their decision-making power taken away from them. At at this point, I mean, I'm speaking of, when I say us, like people of color, marginalized people, people under a certain tax bracket, but uh, more specifically, I'm speaking to Detroiters because of the emergency manager BS, um, the people that voted against the EAA when they instated the EAA, the people who... um, Literally everything that they have voted for has been revoked or not instated or uh, just didn't happen. And then uh, they turn around and then tell people, oh, vote or die. Um, you, <laughs> yep. you, 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 you know, because you didn't vote, you know, Trump is in office. Yeah. It's like, no, um, because white women voted for Trump. That's why Trump is in office, exactly. not because people didn't vote, because just like Kari said, our voter turnout is is abysmal. Our voter turnout is abysmal because people do not believe in this system. Yep. And I wanted you as a candidate to speak to that, because when I talk to people about this, um, that quote unquote believe in this system, they try to buck against that. And I feel like I need. And I want people to hear your voice on that so they can hear the authenticity that's coming from you. Yeah. And I mean, I I feel those people. My grandmother has never voted in her life. She's a citizen. She's never voted in her life. Um, on the flip side, my grandfather always votes. And to be honest, I, I didn't vote until 2016 because I never seen any candidate that I wanted to get behind. I never seen any candidate that I could believe in. And I don't believe this whole vote between the lesser of two evils. Mm -hmm. Yeah, why are you voting for evil? Exactly. And I believe that we have a lot of work to do on the ground that needs to be done at the same time as politics. Mm -hmm. And I believe that we have won so much. Even though we do have Trump as president, we have won so much. We have DACA. Maybe it's not Dream Act. Maybe it's not a pathway to citizenship. But we at least have it. So Mm -hmm. there are a lot of wins that we've had in this country. So that means we have a lot of organizers that really know what to do. Mm -hmm. 
But the thing is, is us organizers, us people of color organizers, especially us women of color, we're not hired for organizing jobs. We're mm. not hired for nonprofit mm-hmm. positions. Mm-hmm. Like the other immigrant organization in Detroit, Michigan United, is ran by Ryan Bates, a white guy from uh, Ann Arbor that has recently fired a lot of uh, people of color and made them sign non-disclosure agreements because of how horrible they were treated mm. at his nonprofit. Mm. But yet he's still leading. And we've literally had issues with this man for the past almost a decade. And his board still keeps him on there. They still decide to um, keep him in, in that position. They have like a million dollar budget. And we could get so much more done with that if we actually had people of color, people that are directly affected by the issues mm-hmm. running these organizations. But they're not going to change that. Mm. Like they're not. These these nonprofits, these foundations, they're all fake. They're mm. all put there to perpe- perpetuate oppression. They don't want to end it. Mm. Because if you end oppression, then you don't have a job as a mm. nonprofit leader, as a foundation. Like, where do you launder your money <laughs> if there's mm. no more issues? So they want to make sure that they keep putting Band-Aids on issues, but that they keep the, the issues going. Mm. So we need to start getting these organizers elected into these positions by us. We're the majority. Mm-hmm. People of color, we're the global majority at this point. Like globally, we make up the most amount mm-hmm. and we need to start recognizing that and we need to start standing up and we need to start fighting mm. and we need to start doing it by putting candidates that represent us. And that's why I want more organizers to go out there. Like we have a duty as community organizers. We're here to service our communities. We're here mm-hmm. to do what's most. And we've already been doing it. Now we need to n- take the next step up mm-hmm. and get elected into these positions. And we need to turn this around. And I'm not saying that we perpetuate this system or we stay in the current white supremacist system. I'm not saying that. Mm-hmm. There can be room for revolution. There can be room for us completely tearing apart this system and building mm-hmm. something new. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not a sellout. I'm not saying, like, now that I'm in the system, I'm going to stay within the system. That's never going to happen. Mm. <laughs> like, it, it's just not. Like, I'm never going to stay in that system. I'm always going to be pushing the boundaries as mm. much as possible. But we need more folks in office to do that for really, for us to get a change and us to get a shift. Because these people that they keep electing and that they're successing in, mm-hmm. they have the same mindset that they just want to be in the system. They don't want to work themselves out of the system. They're not trying to look out for us people that have been oppressed. So we need to stand up. We need to stand up. The other thing, too, um, you did an event, I think it was April, with uh, Michael Moore. Michael Moore is from Flint, filmmaker, came to Detroit. Um, To me, the event was intriguing. It It was a voter education event for people who don't vote. Or something like that. What was it called? Non-voter party. Non-voter party. I went to this event. You invited me to have a table. I appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. And um, Michael Moore came. You did a roundtable discussion with Michael Moore. Are you able to share anything or not yet from Uh, that discussion or not really yet? uh, Not till it comes out. Yeah, I can't can't explain too, too much. But what I can say about the roundtable is... We were addressing why people don't vote and we kind of see it as or some of the people I should say at the table, we see it as it's actually more courageous to not vote than to actually vote. Mm. 
Because when you're voting within the system, you're just, you're doing what you think you're supposed to do. Because what I found when I was putting together this um, event Mm -hmm. is that people love to shame non-voters. Yeah. And even non-voters like to shame other non-voters. Like they will straight up lie to your face and tell you like, no, I voted. I voted. I'm like, I have your voting history right here. Like you did not vote. Right, 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 right. Um, But we love to do that. And and people that vote, um, to me, the the awesome quote that came out of that that table was voting is cute Mm. because it gives people a pass. To say, you know what? Well, I voted and that was my civic engagement for the entire year. And now Mm -hmm. I'm done. Mm. But think about all the people that are actually on the ground and are actually doing this work and doing this like non-paid. Like you and I, Piper, like we don't get paid for the activism that we do. Right. And we're struggling. And that's why I'm on Craigslist looking for toilets (laughs) because I have I have no money, you know, and nobody wants to donate to people of color organizations. Like I've put the little GoFundMe up for One Michigan tons of times. I've even asked just like, hey, can y'all donate me a Swiffer? Like, I need, I still need a Swiffer. Y'all, anybody got a Swiffer? I need one. All right. But, you know, like, but we don't get it. Like, people don't want to give us stuff. They don't Mm want to donate to our organizations. They look at us like we're labeled that we're unfit, that Mm -hmm. we're unorganized, that we don't know what we're doing. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Incompetent. Um, So at this non-voter event, you know, it just really, it really highlighted that, that we have an issue in this system that people can't voice what they're uncomfortable with and that by them not conforming to the system they're actually they're actually braver because like i said they're so ridiculed they're Mm. so so if you're actually brave enough to say why you don't you know agree with the system we should be listening to that because we should be changing that within the system Mm -hmm. and when i heard people talk and i heard a bunch of people today i was door knocking i had an old lady she had a grandma shirt on so she was literally a grandma mm-hmm. and she was like you know i don't vote she was like because there's nobody to vote for she's mm. like i don't believe in any of these candidates they're all the same and i was like look at my card i was like this is my literature i was like do you see democrat on here anywhere mm-hmm. she's like no and i was like i'm running as a democrat because of straight ticket voting i was like but i don't identify as a democrat mm. i was like and i am your person i'm mm-hmm. the person that is going to be authentic i was like and i'm going to encourage more people because people have told us they will vote people have told me if they can believe in a candidate if they actually can believe in a person and they think that person is authentic they will vote yeah it's just cuz they haven't had it and yeah. people you know you know me piper but people my my Facebook has my life and yeah, it's public. Yeah, yeah. So people can literally go back onto my timeline back 10 years and they can see that I have been legitly doing this work on right, the ground. Right. I'm not a person that was just like, oh, I went overseas and I did a service week or two weeks. Like, what <laughs> they do. <laughs> they do. I, I like you, you got to look at some of these candidates and I look at their community, like their, their activism and they're mm-hmm. like, I read books to like the poor kids. And I'm like, what is this? Really? That's not activism. Right. Like, oh, okay. You attended a rally. Like that's not activism mm-hmm. on any level. Like you look into my history and you'll see that I'm an entire open book. Mm. And the only thing that I have that could come out that people could try to shame me or talk down on me is things from my family Mm. that my family's done 
And even with that, like my dad has two felonies, 15 years old. Like what, mm. you're going to drug that up or my mm. mom has a mental health like, you know, issue like. But me as a person, yes, I've been arrested, but I was arrested to save a man's life. Mm. I, I've never been caught up in anything. I've literally it's weird, but I've literally spent my entire life just trying to help people. Right. You know, what's interesting. Um, right. What was it? Last year if i'm not mistaken um there is well i know mahim is in it there's and sadie's in it and it's um it's an organization that um or maybe it's just a collective that was founded to get people that are non-traditional um potential candidates yeah and doing and and training are you in that I'm not in that. Not in that. I sent one of my youth through that, though. What? What is that? Uh, what is it? New new immigrants or something like that. That's what it's called. Yeah. Um, um I, I, I have seen them have a few meetings, but it's like people that um, would identify as an immigrant. Yeah. Um, that live here, that have citizenship and are able to run. Um, and they have these trainings and organizing trainings. And I'm looking at, you know, the trajectory of um, what I've been seeing in terms of the political landscape. And basically what I've been seeing is uh, more of these call outs to, you know, like you're saying, oh, you should run. And, you know, I like I said, people tell me all the time, you should run, you should run. But um, in all reality, we do. We need more people that actually are in community to run and just do it like that's what we need we need to stop having the reservation and stop saying like oh but this but that and just do it like yeah. when my community told me to i was like all right i'm in i was like whatever and like <laughs> right. we were literally driving downtown and jose was with me and he's like that's where you sign up to to like go in and whatever and i was mm -hmm. like all right i was like stop let's go and we literally like i didn't like i, I wasn't dressed up all fancy like i went in jeans t-shirt i had uh my leather jacket on with my pin that one of my youth gave me on my jacket the lgbt pin um and i just went in like that and i just signed it and i was like all right i'm in we're doing it and i looked at him and i was like are you ready because like you just sold your soul like this is mm. what we're doing but and and just not caring about the money you know mm -hmm. i think that's people's biggest fears is the fundraising and like i said that guy that told me like you're not going to be able to do this so i was mm. like no i'm going to be able to do this because i'm running off of my community and the way i look at it is if i lose on august 7th it's because my community wasn't ready to have a revolutionary in office and mm. it means i have more work to do on the ground mm. that's all it means mm -hmm. and it's not a loss for me it's um more information that i need to get out and i need to do more work because they believe more in the system than they did for a revolution and that means not only do i have to do more work but all of us, all mm. of us as community organizers, like mm -hmm. if they're still electing the same old people, that means whatever we're doing is not working. So I have a question because I've been to a few um, fundraisers um, in the last, I'm going to say year. I mean, I've actually thrown fun, lots of fundraisers uh, for various candidates over like the past decade, um, all the way from Obama uh, to, down to city council people to just different people but um, something that 
that's really interesting to me is, you know, as I'm going to these fundraisers and things, you know, I'm listening to candidates speak. And one of the big questions is, um, what are you going to be able to do at that table because the experience, because you don't have, so this is what I've heard. Okay, because you don't not not you personally. Yeah, I'm saying that the other fundraisers for different candidates, but just in general, I'm gonna pose this question to you. So, what is it that you feel that you're going to be able to do? Because that's a big question that, or I'm gonna say a big reservation that a lot of people have is like, oh, well, you get this person in there, they don't have the connection, so they won't be able to get on the phone. They don't have the relationships. Um, what what will you be able to actually get done as you're learning? You know what I mean? So uh, what would you say to those people that have that question for you? I've already done so many things without even being in office and passed so many policies and I've trampled over the federal government that I'm going to be able to get things done because anything that I've said I'm going to get done, I've gotten done. Wow. So, I mean, you know, Southwest Detroit, they put in parking meters on Verner. Right. And it was attacking our small businesses. I got my team out. We went and collected over a thousand surveys, proving to the city that people didn't know that they were coming in, that they weren't um, they weren't in Spanish and that they were uh, businesses were, were reporting up to 50 percent loss. Mm. I took this to city council and we got those parking meters taken out within mm. three months of them putting in. Mm -hmm. And nobody thought that that could happen. The city literally looked at me in the, at the face and they told me your, your community doesn't care. They didn't mm. come to the meetings. Mm. These are staying here. So you need to just stop. Wow. And I was like, oh, okay. I was like, we'll see. We'll see. Mm -hmm. And so I just kept persisting and we got them out. Mm. Um, Detroit IDs. Mm -hmm. A lot of people don't know. In 2014, I went to Raquel Castaneda Lopez and I told her that we needed this ID. She's a, she's the uh, city council. council for District 6, Six. Yep. which is Southwest Detroit. Yes. Um, and I went to her and I told her, like, we need these IDs. I was like, we need them for the undocumented population. They're also going to help um, the homeless population. They're mm -hmm. also going to help the LGBT, uh, the returning citizens. Mm -hmm. And I started working with her in 2014. In 2016, we got those passed unanimously mm -hmm. by mm -hmm. city council. Mm -hmm. I've brought deported, uh, deported undocumented people back to the United States when people never thought it was possible. Mm -hmm. So when it comes to passing policy and lancing and talking to white folks, like, mm -hmm. look, if they don't answer my call, I'm going to go to their office. And if they're not at their office, I'm going to go to the salon that their wife goes to and I'm going to talk to her. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm going to do these things that no other politician is willing to do because they're like, oh, well, that's not standard. That's not this. That's mm -hmm. not that. Like, mm -hmm. if they don't want to answer my call, that's fine. I'm used to hearing no. Mm. Like, that's the thing is like my whole life I've been told no. My whole life I've been told like you are going to be a failure. You're not going to be anything. Like I had everything against me since birth mm. and I've prevailed and I've been consistent by it. My graduate degree, mm -hmm. I got it in one year. Mm. A lot of people don't do that. And I did my homework while I was in Standing Rock mm. from a yurt. It was freezing. I was getting shot at. And then mm. I was going back to the yurt, turning on my laptop and writing my thesis. Mm. Like, so if anybody tells me, like, you don't have experience, I'm like, no, nobody. There's no other candidate that's running against me that has anywhere near the experience that I have. Mm. 
I like that. Yeah, she didn't read that off an of iPad, guys. That's, that's, okay? I'm just letting you know. I'm a witness. I like that. I mean, and you know, okay, I was trying to think of all these counter arguments, but my brain doesn't work like that. I'm like, I'm like go, Sam, get him. Get him, Sam. No, but that was, that was a powerful question. It really was. And how you answered it, of course, was even more powerful. So, yeah. Well, I guess also, too, um, there's this, like... And it's kind of a similar question, but there's this kind of club, you know what I mean? Like where the, 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 the in crowd or like the in people, how do you, and I guess that's just the way Detroit politics like pretty much works, you know, um, and I'm going to just give a quick example. And this is like a really, you know, not even that deep example. There's a, a person, um, so wait a minute when did we do our mayoral was that last year or year before last i'm got the years confused wasn't it wasn't it didn't we just do our mayoral okay so last year okay so last year around this time i was working on an event i'm not gonna say names but there were some people say it who were pretty uh influential i'm gonna say in the city that were also working on this on this event. So it happened to be just a situation where because of my activism and involvement in this cause, they were also involved in this cause. So we actually happened to be working on this thing together. So in a little downtime, <coughs> I had, uh, you know, was just talking some politics and, you know, that's kind of off limits conversation for people. <laughs> they get a little paranoid when you talk about religion or politics, but whatever so uh i was like yeah you know who you guys voting for and they were so hesitant and i was like look i have nothing to gain i'm just really nosy you know i'm, I'm voting for ingrid you know because because my friend ingrid you know was running yeah. for mayor and they were laughing at they were like ha 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 and i was like oh my god you know ingrid is for you know uh, cryptocurrency uh She's for, uh, you know, the legalized medical marijuana as a form of income for folks. Uh, you know, just running down, you know, some different things that I thought were really great about what she was putting forth in terms of her campaign. Um, and Ingrid, you know, she went, you know, door to door. She was grassroots. So I was like, hey, she's rooted in community. She's for the arts. You know, she's uh, building this arts council so we can, you know, get uh, monies for artists, you know, government monies for artists because we don't have that in Detroit and these types of things. So uh, the one woman, very, very, very influential woman was just laughing and laughing and laughing at me. And um, one of the issues that I mentioned was the water. Well, you know, everywhere we go, we always talk about water. So... um, She's like, water is a human right. Where they do that at? And like, my body like clenched up. <laughs> like, I was like, but my mind was like, okay, relax. Just listen. Just listen. It's rough, but just listen. So I just asked her, like, hmm, okay, that's an interesting uh, perspective. Uh, you don't believe that human beings that are made up of three-fourths of water should have access to affordable, clean, 
water. <laughs> she was like, no. Did you laugh like that? I hope oh, you did. No, I was mad. Like that sent like a rocket fuel through my heart. I'm with you. I was trying to breathe. I was like. <sighs> You're a good one. But I was I trying to relax. I, I relaxed my body. Mm-hmm. I put myself into the Zen z- zone. You know, I used my yoga t- breathing tactics and I pushed even to push a smile on my face. And I was like, hmm. So what do you think about the children who are living in those homes who don't who don't control like paying the bill who would be subject to having their water cut off? Um, that's a health risk. That's a that's a health hazard. And she was like, that's why they should take these kids from them. Uh-uh. I was like, ah. <laughs> she's a leader. Bro, she is, like, I can't even say it, but, yeah, I'm going to just put it, like, she's way up there to the point where, yeah, like, yeah. It was, like, ego over empathy in that conversation. It was a lot of that, and I was like, wow, but, you know. um, She's a Democrat? Of course. (laughs) And, like, digging deeper. I just want to make that clear. (laughs) But just, like, digging deeper and just asking her, it was Hmm. like, yeah, you know where my bread is. I know where my bread is buttered. But basically, it was like the sentiment was you're too optimistic and too lofty. The world is a bad place. And the things that you want to see can't happen. So you're wasting your time on trying to make the world a better place. (laughs) You need to try to figure out how to get in where you fit in. Yep. Or else you're going to lose. Now, I, I will say this woman got possibly 10 to 15 years on me um, as an elder. Yep. And so that's her orientation. And I'm bringing that here because I know that that's not your orientation. Yep. <laughs> I know that your orientation is like the 180 degree opposite. Mm. I'm, I'm also saying that to say that the work that I see that you're going to have to do which you are doing is the hard work. It's the door knocking that you're doing, the one-on-ones that you're doing, the in the streets that you're doing. And this other demographic, if you will, is the large majority of the voter. Even though our voter turnout is abysmal, that demographic of that so-called I'm going to call them bootstrapper. (laughs) I mean, what what are they? They're the people who, you know, uh, have some level of power. It's not real power. It's what kind of power is that? But they have an ability to have an impact on decisions that are made. I'm going to put it that way. Um, They have a little bit of coin. Uh, They've got some education. Um, And these are the people that are turning up to vote. I'm going to also say that a lot of those people are not turning up to vote. So I'm not trying to make it seem like just because a person has education or coin or whatever that they're voting. A lot of them are not voting. But are you interested? I shouldn't say you're interested. In, I'm sure you're interested in anyone's vote. <laughs> but who is it that you're interested in getting to these polls? I'm interested in getting the the folks that didn't vote in 2016. 
um, whether that be they've never voted before or whether that be that they just didn't vote because they finally saw that the system is so blatantly against us that they just refuse to vote. Those are the people that I want to see. Those are the people that I want to bring hope into. Those are the people that I want to inspire to tell them that you've you've participated in this political system before. So at some point you have some kind of hope, right? Like you think that somehow things can change. Um, but at this time you thought that there was no other options. And I want to show them that there is another option, that there is mm-hmm. another person out there that is willing to step up. But what I've been telling people at the doors I've been perfectly honest with them. I can't do this by myself. This is not the last time that you're going to see me. And I'm not going to come here again just for re-election time. I'm going to be here because each of you that help elect me into office, Mm -hmm. you're my team. Mm. (laughs) And really everybody in District 6, like whether you voted for me or not, you're a non-voter, like you're my team. Like we're in this together. Like y'all want me to get lower auto insurance. Y'all want me to fight for licenses for all that'll help undocumented citizens as well. We're a team. Mm-hmm. Like even the undocumented citizens that can't vote, like we are a team. We're in this together. And I'm grassroots. I'm not going to push any policy without talking to folks on the ground first mm-hmm. and giving them explicit instructions of how I need them to show up for me mm-hmm. and how to push this on several different levels mm-hmm. so it's not going to be just me and lansing and me you know trying to convince like i'm going to tell them like y'all this is the spot that i need you to show up mm-hmm. this is where we're going to be able to put the most pressure mm-hmm. because right now when we organize um we tend to stay in our own little parameter yeah, yeah. <laughs> we tend Preach to, to the choir exactly you know so how are we supposed to there's there's two spots we go we stay here in detroit And then we go to Lansing on like special little days Mm. and we tell people in advance. So if they don't want to hear you, they just don't come that day Mm. or they avoid it or they take the back or whatever because you announced it. Like Mm -hmm. you told them there's no Mm -hmm. element of Mm -hmm. surprise. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to be the strategic organizer that I am, that I'm always going to be. And I'm going to tell them like, look, these are the cities. (laughs) Mm -hmm. This is the public park. This is Mm -hmm. the spots that we need to hit up. This is how we're going to organize it. And this is how we're going to get it together. And this is how we're going to start making changes. Mm. So in terms of change, what are the changes that you're currently working on that are going to carry over into your, into the political work that you're doing? So the biggest initiative that I'm going to try to push and, Remember, there's only two year term limits. Mm -hmm. So I'm very vocal about not promising the world. Like Mm -hmm. I will definitely um, support progressive um, bills. So if there's bills that come up that are to fight for 15, Mm -hmm. I'll support that. Mm -hmm. Um, Women's rights. I support that. Like, but when it comes to my two years and what I want to focus on, Mm -hmm. um, there are two of my biggest concerns, lowering auto insurance mm. and driver's licenses for all. Can you, so just because there's people listening that are not only from Detroit, but yes. Detroiters will know this. Yes. Okay. Can you tell us, um, like I, I don't drive. I had a car, my car died in 2015 and then I just stopped driving because um, the insurance is just too high. And I'm not going to pay that. I, I, I actually pay less in taking 
like lift um and yep. riding my bicycle um then i do and people always tell me like you should get a car i'll probably get a car when you get in office and get our car <laughs> insurance lowered um but can you just explain to us about this car insurance we have the third highest car insurance in the nation so mm. our car insurance here is higher than people's car payments like you're paying more for your auto insurance and it's systematic racism they look at your zip code like auto insurance companies literally look at your zip code and they say oh 48209 48217 whatever zip code it is in detroit they say oh th that person's from detroit and your your rate skyrockets it has mm. nothing to do with your driving record Mm. It has nothing to do with, like, have you been in accidents? You haven't been in accidents. It literally has to do with your zip code. And that's mm. why you have high insurance rates. Mm. And insurance should have nothing to do with anything but your driver's record. Mm. Um, but it's it's another way to attack people of color and to keep them down. Because then, you know, you have to rely on public transit, which our public transit here in Detroit is horrible. Oh, I was just yeah. thinking that. It, yeah. That's how you know it's attacked, that there is no public transportation here. Exactly. Exactly. It's it's horrible. And so it's not an option. So you have people that are um, driving without insurance. A lot of people in Detroit will go and get insurance for one month and just so they can get the tags on the vehicle. And mm. then they stop paying the insurance because they, ca they can't afford it. There's no way that they can afford it and this is we're not even talking about full coverage like we're talking about basic the basic no fault mm. insurance like people cannot afford it it's expensive it's 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 highly expensive and i've talked to so many folks when i've been door knocking i've been door knocking literally i started at 10 a.m and there are nights that i don't stop until like 9 p.m so i've been doing nothing but door knocking and trying to get to know as many folks as possible mm. and i've talked to a lot of elders and you would think, like, you, once you get older, like, your car insurance will lower. Mm. It's never lowered for them. Like, I've talked to people that are, like, retired. Mm. And they tell me, like, how high their car insurance is. Mm. Like, they're paying three, four, even $500 a month for car insurance. Mm. And they were constantly promised that their car insurance was going to lower over time. And if anything, it's gotten higher. And, um... Duggan was trying to Mayor Duggan of Detroit was trying to um, address the auto insurance issue that mm -hmm. we had here mm -hmm. um, except his auto insurance plan was leaving out a lot of folks mm. and by folks I mean the people that had been here the longest mm -hmm. <laughs> so yeah it wasn't it wasn't something that was going to address us it was something that was going to benefit the new Detroit that they're trying to build mm. You know, what's interesting, too, is that um, you were so I'm just backing up a little bit. You were saying before about um, people say that you're really, really astute in policy. And I feel like like how old are you again? Twenty seven. You're twenty seven. And speaking to you, it's like speaking to an elder, you know, like especially when, when talking about oops, when talking about like uh, organizing and like um, policy and you know laws and all these nuances you're so just on point you just so nuanced you're so astute and i'm just like oh my god i'm I breathtaking just, i've never heard anybody in, in our age group break it down like that i've never heard it 
I'm, I, I haven't searched, but it's not even worth the time. Thank you. Wow. Yeah. So, along with being in the streets, you're also in the books. Yeah. Right. Yep. And so, um, how could people, let's say, like, because a lot of people that we know, hood dudes, <laughs> and our hood friends, you know, maybe may listening to this, hopefully, you know, I could see them being like, I'm still not going to vote. <laughs> yeah. I'm still not going to vote. Like, how is it? And it's like, I mean, I don't want to say how can we get people to care? But I don't know how to, I don't know what is the question. Is it how do we get people to care? Like, what is that question? Do you know what I mean? Like, because like, the main thing is there's one thing in having all these campaigns, having a great candidate, having great strategy, um, being able to know the statistics, like having it all together. The whole nother level is how do we get people to actually physically go and then do that action, okay, voting. Like where, how does that happen? Well, there's so many different levels. <clears throat> First of all, we have to remind folks that the system doesn't want you to vote. So even though that the system is telling you, we want you to vote, we want your voices, like they don't want you to vote. They mm -hmm. don't want you to participate. How do I know this? What I've noticed here in Detroit, um, at least in Southwest, I, I don't know about the rest of Detroit, but I was working for a nonprofit and I was working with an organization that was working with uh, high schools. They don't have elected student councils in the high schools here. Mm. They don't even have it in the middle schools or the elementary schools. Mm. Now, in the suburban schools, I've been running for student council ever since I was, like, in kindergarten. Like, mm -hmm. that was the thing. Like, you, right, you voted for, for student council. Mm -hmm. And it was to get you used to the electoral system. Mm -hmm. It was to get you used to being able to go vote, like to get you like prepared mm -hmm. for that. That's mm -hmm. what they would do. And they don't do that in our schools for a reason. Mm -hmm. They don't want us to show up and vote. They don't want us mm -hmm. to participate. And our people need to realize that things are getting worse and worse. We've had wins. But things are getting worse. Mm. Nazis are openly out in the streets doing whatever they want. Mm. They are attacking our activists. Mm. They're putting them behind bars for no reason. And they're going to come for you. Mm. So there's that saying that, you know, first they came for the Jews and I didn't do anything because I wasn't a Jew. Mm. Then they came for the Mexicans and I didn't do anything because I was a Mexican. Then they came for, you know, whatever group, and I didn't do anything. And then they came for me, and there was nobody left to fight for me. Mm. And that's what we need to realize, that you are going to have to fight one day. Mm. And you're going to have to fight one day very, very soon. With Trump America, things are getting insane. Mm. Look at all these school shootings that are happening. Mm. Like, before, you thought kids were off limits. Mm. Like for a long time, we we're like, oh, you know, the kids, they're in school. They don't know anything like they're fine. Look at what's happening in our schools. Just here in Royal Oak Middle School, after Trump got elected, um, the middle school students mm -hmm. started shouting, build the wall. Mm. And this one Latina student taped it and they terrorized her at her school that she had to leave. Mm. Like this is hitting closer to home. Mm -hmm. And if you think that you're safe in Detroit and you're like, well, you know what? I own my house 
guess what? Your property taxes are going to start going up. Mm, you preach. see you see these nice roads coming in. You see these bike lanes coming in mm-hmm. and all these lights. And you're like, oh, look, they're they're uh, making Detroit better. And the new Detroit is coming. Like, it's not for you, though. Mm-hmm. They're going to push you out. Mm-hmm. They're going to push you out hard and as fast as they can. Mm. And they're going to start with these blight tickets. Mm. Anything that they can look at in your home, they 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 made a new policy now. I don't know if you knew you heard about it, but this tell one lady us, just please told me. Tell us about it. The alleys used to be owned by the city, right? Mm-hmm. And that was their thing. They now increase people's property lines to include the alleys in their property. So if you're mm. a homeowner, that's your property now. So you know how people don't know that like the regular citizens i didn't even know that like Mm -hmm. this woman told me because i was like mad because this uh very elderly couple was getting blight tickets for the alley and i'm like how can they get blight tickets for the alley like they're Mm. they're elderly like they can't go out there you know people walk through the alley they throw stuff they dump stuff illegally Mm. all the time but the city extending these lines they didn't ask them do you want more property do you want this like Mm -hmm. they didn't even make it widely known and now these people are getting hundreds and hundreds of dollars in blight tickets Mm. and you can't afford like maybe you could afford your house payment Mm -hmm. but you can't afford your house payment plus blight tickets right Mm. so now all of a sudden you're you're displaced and you have to get out Mm. and that's what they're doing so when folks say that they don't want to vote you know I, I hear it. I hear it all the time. You know, I have the same friends, the same community members. Um, and I feel you because a lot a lot of the times I didn't vote. I didn't want to vote. But I'm seeing now that we have to stand up. And if you're going to have a person that is actually going to run for office, that is going to go through this hardship of running for office, because none of this is easy. Mm-hmm. door knocking is not easy on any level like i leave at nine in the morning if i get home at 9 p.m i don't eat that entire time like mm. i'm literally just door knocking and you have to talk to these people and you have to try to convince them and you have to like tell them why you're better than the other candidates and it's it's draining like there's so nothing... what do you say so so wait so knock on my door so i go like <laughs> as you knock on the door then i i come to the door whoa hey what do you want <laughs> my, my my real spiel? Yeah. Okay, so I say, hi, my name is Samantha Magdaleno, and I'm running for state representative here in District 6. It's nice to meet you, and today I'm just here because I want to hear what you want from your next state representative. And then what do they say? Um, they'll say a whole lot of things. Um, usually they'll say something about auto insurance. That's been the biggest thing that I've heard. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of stuff they'll bring up city stuff, boarded houses. You know how like they mm-hmm. keep saying they're going to board up all the houses? Mm-hmm. No, there's this one house that this woman lives next door to. And it's literally been, it's had to be maybe over 10 years that this house is just horrible and it's not boarded. So mm-hmm. they'll tell me a lot of that stuff. And then I'll segue into, I'm a third-generation Detroiter, and this is why I'm running. I'm not your regular politician. My slogan is protecting people, not politics. Mm. So this is why I'm running. I show them a picture on the front of the card. Mm -hmm. It has my grandma, my grandpa, my sister, my sister, my brother. Mm -hmm. And then the rest of the kids in the picture are youth that I've been mentoring for the past four years. Mm. And that's like that's my my regular spiel that I go through. And then Mm -hmm. if it goes off on anything else, like... But the biggest thing is just conveying to them that I'm not a regular politician. Like, I want them to know that. And um, 
if they give me legitimate concerns, um, something that I think I could help them with, mm-hmm. a lot of the stuff is like fighting like the city. I, I love that stuff. I live for that <laughs> stuff. Okay. Um, so I'll pull out my one Michigan card that has like my personal cell phone on it. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell them, like, if you want to go to the city and you want backup on this because they were not boarding this house or you want backup on this blight ticket, mm-hmm. here's my card. I will come with you. And I mean, I that's like, what politicians are supposed to do. They don't. <laughs> yeah, that I mean, for me, that's what a politician does, right? Is, yeah, is is back you up on the stuff that you need, you know, resolved uh, that impact your living and your quality of life. Exactly, yeah. and that's and that's what I tell them. Like, you know, I have a cousin almost on every street in Southwest Detroit. Like, I'm like my cousin goes to Clifford, my other cousin goes to Western, my cousin goes to Earhart. So I'm like, you know, I'm telling you, I want to improve these conditions because. My family lives in these conditions Mm -hmm. because I'm not living in the fancy downtown or midtown houses like I'm living right in southwest Detroit where Mm -hmm. when they build that new bridge, all those toxins and all those pollutions that everybody's worried about, like Mm -hmm. I'm going to be breathing that stuff in. Mm. So I really, you know, that's the thing I try to convey to them. Like I'm going to fight hard for you because this directly impacts me and it impacts my family. Mm. A lot of these other folks, like, you know, they can't, they can't say that. Man, I think we should end it right there. That's, that's, I mean, what more can you say? <laughs> Nothing. We need police to live in their own neighborhood, too, but that ain't happening. Oh, yeah, that's a huge policy that we need we to bring back. To. We used to. Yeah, we need to, to bring it back. It needs to be brought back, but they've been causing so much terror, I don't know. There ain't nobody <laughs> trying to be no cop. Well, <laughs> it just reminds me of, and you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, but when Coleman A. Young was in office, didn't he legislate if you didn't live in the city, you couldn't work in the city, something of that nature? Pretty much. And they they ridicule for him for that, call him gangsters and all types of things, but that's what they're doing right now. And didn't you just say that's yeah. what they do? Yeah. Mm-hmm. They're doing it now. You think you have to have a, to get the taxes on construction work? To do bring any if you want to do any type of work in the city, they want you to have people that live in the city. Same thing Carmen A. Young was doing. Mm-hmm. You know, my youth yesterday, uh, Khadijah Mohammed told me like the best quote that I, I and I've heard this before, but she brought it up at a perfect time. It's expensive to be poor, man. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what it is because I mean the Dan Gilberts of the world, the Maddie Maroons of the world. Like Dan Gilbert just got how much property for a dollar? He got property for a dollar from our mayor, but yet our regular citizens have to pay a hundred dollars for the vacant lot next to them. That's but a, but he can get um, all of this property crazy. for a dollar. Plot it. Mm. They 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 <laughs> he came along and they said you meet the qualification of this plan we put together thirty years ago. Wow, Mr. Dan Gilbert. Even even longer back. Right. The mm-hmm. systemic racism right. is goes so 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 far back. But bringing it back to the police, um, they don't want police to live or police don't want to live in the city because they're thugs and they're gangsters. And they don't want to be accountable for what they do. Now, mm. think about this. If you shoot an unarmed person in the city of Detroit and you shoot an unarmed youth and then you live in Detroit, mm-hmm. your family, your people are going to be directly impacted and accountable because mm-hmm. we know exactly where you live. Mm-hmm. So you're going to think 
twice, three times, four times, ten times before you pull that trigger. Mm-hmm. Because you're like, you're going to have that in the back of my mind. Like, man, if I shoot this person, I'm going to have a mob at my house. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But if you shoot this person and then you're driving all the way to West Bloomfield, Livonia, Novi, all the way outside of Detroit, you don't have to deal with them. Yeah, no attachment. Exactly. Right. And that's why they don't they don't want to live here in the city because they don't want any accountable accountability from the community members. I seen um, our friend Sacramento Knox. Mm-hmm. We were having a barbecue. He went to go get ice. We know Knox. He mm-hmm. works with youth in the community. He's mm-hmm. been doing it for years. Mm-hmm. He's he's one of our our leaders. Yeah. The cops stopped him. Mm-hmm. He didn't have his license because of some unpaid tickets, whatever, whatever, and. They stopped him. They threw him against the car. They handcuffed him. They were talking to him hardcore. And I, I started recording because they started telling his girlfriend, Christy, and myself. Because he called us. He was like, come get me. Hurry up. Like, come over here. He was literally not even a block from his house. Like, mm. I could walk to the corner and see where he was at. And they started cussing at Christy. Get the F back in the car. Get the F back in the car. Don't mm. be offer no license because he rolled a stop sign like you did all of this you put him in the back of the car they had her car towed Mm. she was right there she was the owner of the car the cop could have said you know what take the car Mm -hmm. but this guy was going completely off like just power trip exactly and he was trying to agitate him Mm. that's what he was trying to do he was trying to get Knox to swing on him or do something so that he could have justification to go crazy on him Mm. that was crazy Mm. apparent and I started I started filming and I was just like I cannot believe in this guy is doing all of this stuff but he has no accountability. What what kind of politician would film the kind I'm going to vote for? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What you think, Kari? I'm with it. I've been uh, I've been out the loop, but a very very um, compelling story, Sam. Um, hopefully, the work you're doing is uh is something that continues to carry on and reigns true for some of the young people you're touching and the families and uh people respond to this well and people know they can support you okay so say your name and spell your name and tell us the district and what you're running for all right so my name is samantha magdaleno uh samantha s-a-m-a-n-t-h-a Magdaleno, M-A-G-D-A-L-E-N-O, running for state representative in District 6. All right. So you heard it right here. Piper Carter podcast on Detroit is different. Mm -hmm. Anybody got any last words? You got anything you want people to think about for the week? No, we're good. Uh, Houdini, uh, Five Minutes of Funk. Five Minutes of Funk. That is not my favorite Houdini song, but that's the Houdini song we're playing. (laughs) (laughs) um final words is that we need to reach uh liberation we need to end oppression through revolution to reach liberation i'm with that Mm. me too one love
tune in weekly to the Piper Carter Podcast with Piper Carter for a conscious take on music, arts, politics, and fashion. The founder of We Found Hip Hop has a say on what you should know about culture with a balanced conscience. Subscribe on Apple iTunes or Google Play to the Piper Carter Podcast to hear the stories and thoughts of Piper Carter. Follow Piper Carter on Instagram at Piper Carter.